whole life. You ever think of boxing in the Olympics? He doesn't fight for attention. He fights because he needs to. Your daddy's a drunk? Think of boxing. I can't remember what my mom looks like. They're all trash, you know, including your mama. You are chosen. I saw something out there today that I haven't seen for quite some time. Find the best in the country. You win. You go to Olympic trial. You want that girl? You can have her. Now what we're gonna do is we're gonna win the tournament. You're gonna knock him out. You ain't never seen someone like me. It's all decided for. You can't think. So full of fear. You have to lose yourself before you find yourself. I'll take you on right now, Tuttle. He's strong. You're strong. When we're done with you, you won't know nothing. Cross the line, son. How bad do you want it? You gotta take it. Cobbled enough time together to put a podcast out. Surprise! A G of us. Well, hopefully it's a surprise to you. You probably got that little buzz in your pocket saying that there's an update on the old uh, podcast library. You looked down thinking it was going to be uh, Joe Rogan or something. And, and surprise, it's, it's actually Skoden Cinema. Probably forgot that you subscribed to the podcast. And just kind of thought, oh yeah, I forgot about that guy. What's he doing now? Because it's been about seven months since the last one, uh, Pow Wow Highway. But we're back today to talk about uh, Black Cloud, 2004's Black Cloud, starring Eddie Spears, Julia Jones, Russell Means, Ricky Schroeder. Um, but before we get into the, the deep dive, let's talk quickly about the song that you're hearing. This is called Black Cloud um, by an Oklahoma artist, John Moreland. Uh, this is off his 2011 CD called Things I Can't Control. Uh, funny story about this, I've had the pleasure of knowing John personally for, oh my gosh, 15 years probably, and I was actually at the release party for this album. Um, John was opening up for Chuck Reagan, who's the front man for Hot Water Music, and there's probably about 16 people there probably, and John was super sick that night, and when I finally caught up with him um, before the show, he was behind his own merch booth, and he was actually running his own merch booth, and John's like face down um, on the table, um, his head buried, his arms crossed, kind of like uh, you kind of see those kids in detention, and I walked over to him and kind of, he was like, hey John, how's, how's it going, can't wait to hear you play tonight, and kind of raised his head up, and was like, oh hey, how's it going? And uh, I said, man, looking forward to the show. Um, hopefully there's a better turnout, you know. And, and he was like, oh, it's probably better because it's going to suck. I'm sick. I've been gargling honey and hot water all day long. 
I'm just, it's going to be awful. And so, uh, just the old John Moreland spirit, uh, to say the least. Well, long story short, um, even though it was a CD release for a new album, John failed to play any songs off of it. Um, he played a few songs off of uh, Endless Oklahoma Sky, and then he did a couple of songs that I have never heard and probably will never hear again. And then he sang some songs off an album that he would release probably five or six years later called In, In the Throes. And uh, that was it. The whole set lasted about 20 minutes, and John just kind of unplugged and was like, I'm out of here. So, uh, you gotta love John Moreland, I'm telling you what. Um, fantastic uh, a singer songwriter do yourself a favor uh, go download the entire catalog I cannot recommend him enough uh, he's, he's just a wonderful guy uh, just a great spirit and a, a true Oklahoma to say the least so the song's called Black Cloud this is off the album like I said called uh, uh, Things I Can't Control so yeah I'm a little rusty uh, if you can't already tell and if you're playing along um, at home on the like I said game, um, you're probably about three three deep. Um, if you're taking a shot or, or, or having a drink every time I say the phrase uh, like I said, uh, you're probably getting buzzed up by now. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so what happened? Where'd I go? Um, what's going on with the show? I've gotten a couple of emails, some texts, some some PMs, some smoke signals asking me just that. And I just want to say I appreciate everybody that's reached out to me, um, you know, wanting to know what's been going on and all the support that I've gotten. Uh, And there's a little bit to unpack, but not a whole lot, so I'll just try to keep the explanation as brief as I possibly can. Uh, It would be so easy for me just to say, hey, COVID um, allowed me, the COVID shutdown allowed me to live the introvert's dream. I got to stay home, I got to watch movies, I got to play video games, I got to um, work from home, I got to um, focus on my my kids, I got to focus on my wife, um, being a good husband, being a good dad. I have five kids, Um, three of them have have left, but I have two, under two, uh, still living at home. And that doesn't, you know, leave me a whole lot of free time for a podcast. Um, but I'm not going to blame it on that. Um, I could say, hey, I just didn't want to be res- uh, responsible for the spreading of a nasty, infectious virus around. Um, or I could say, I just didn't want to get COVID. But uh, all joking aside, um, when I started doing this, you know, full disclosure, I had no idea what kind of response I'd get from it. And I ran the idea of the podcast through a couple of friends that I know. Um, just to kind of get their thoughts, and um, they all said the same thing. Um, you know, if this is something that you want to do, then, then you should do it. Yeah, don't let anybody tell you not to do it. You know, if this is your dream, then you should do it. Which I think is code speak for you should totally go for it. But if it's a failure, don't blame me. Um, <laughs> but a few of my native friends even said, um, well, I don't even know any natives that listen to podcasts. They don't listen to podcasts, which I knew had to be poppycock. I mean... Um, Sterling Harjo has a podcast and um, uh, there's This Land podcast and um, there's one from Turtle Island that, that has a podcast so I knew that was false but um, you know I just wanted to try something new for being 45 years old I'm not tech savvy I had no idea what I was doing I just learned through YouTube I learned through typing in how to do a podcast into Google I borrowed my 26-year-old son and, and picked his brain to kind of help me out. 
and um, just set out to try something different. I think the first couple episodes I did, um, you know, the All My Relations one and, and the uh, Legend of the Lone Ranger episodes, you know, they were kind of shaky. Uh, they're kind of hard to follow. They're all over the place. Um, but I kind of started hitting a comfortable stride about Ghost Dance. And then came the Will Sampson episode. And that was the episode that really blew up the podcast for me. I was getting messages all the time. Um, I was having people contact me, wanting me to be a part of their uh, their podcast. Uh, Magnez, Kevin, uh, he, he reached out to me on the E-Society Network, and he wanted me to be a part of his podcast. Russell Sunagle, who hosts the amazing uh, Oki podcast, reached out to me, and people kind of started to look at me like I was some sort of expert on native film, um, or just film in general, and uh, again, full disclosure, I've never considered myself to be an expert um, on film. Uh, I was even asked to be a part of the official Sundance Film Committee um, that was hosted by the wonderful, wonderful people at Circle Cinema in Tulsa, Oklahoma. So for like this little rinky-dink podcast that I record in a little uh, spot in my garage, I really couldn't believe what was going on. Now, most people at that point would probably start getting busy and getting excited because things were starting to happen. And I kind of slowly began to fall back into a pattern that sort of haunted me my entire life. Uh, uh, Full disclosure, um, I have this very weird relationship with fame and success it's not that i don't want to be successful it's that i just don't want to fail um if that makes sense to you uh i was awarded one time teacher of the year um this is probably back in 2009 and i didn't want it i didn't want the accolades i don't feel comfortable being in the spotlight sometimes and so i kind of push back a little bit so what happened with the podcast is basically the same thing um as soon as it got kind of you know hot so to speak um i got nervous because i didn't want to fail at it it was a lot of pressure And so I just had to kind of take a break from it for a little bit and kind of refocus on myself and kind of, you know, telling myself, hey, you got to face that fear. Um, People actually want to hear what you have to say. And for that, those listeners, I really want to say, Mado, I I thank you so much because without your continued support, without your continued, um, uh, you know, love and and appreciation for for this podcast, even though there's only like eight episodes on there. I cannot thank you enough because um, this is really this this one's for you guys. So thank you so much. I hope you enjoy uh, talking about 2004's uh, Black Cloud. Well, before we start talking about this boxing movie, we gotta talk about that other boxing movie, the elephant in the room, so to speak, because that other movie is one of the greatest, most inspiring stories ever captured on celluloid. In fact, it ranks at number five on my favorite films of all time list, and it's one that I continue to go back to and watch at least once every year, because in my opinion, it's truly a remarkable piece of storytelling. I mean, it's about this small-time boxer who gets the supremely rare chance to fight a heavyweight champion in a bout um, where he strives to not only go the distance, but um, to get respect and redemption. 
Uh, it's just a stunning portrayal of a man who has never had it easy in his life, but nonetheless, he keeps trying no matter the hardships. Uh, it's a man with a dream. Uh, it, it may be an unrealizable dream, uh, to be frank, um, but that's everybody's dream, right? I mean, all of our dreams are, are a little unrealistic um, in their own ways, but that's what dreams are. That's, that's why we have them. Um, the difference here, though, is this man actually gets his shot at redemption. This man gets his shot at revenge, so to speak. Uh, I mean, this movie truly has everything, right? It's got heart. It's got soul. And there's just so much emotional depth to this story that we don't even have time to unpack it all here. Um, and trust me, the older you get, the more you appreciate this movie. Uh, because it's not even really so much about fighting or, or winning. It's just about getting by in the world um, and, and just constantly moving forward, no matter what's going on in your life. Uh, this movie, it's about life. It's about death. It's about redemption. It's about world diplomacy. It's even about robots. Yes, I said it. I said robots. Because the movie I'm talking about is Rocky IV. Allow me to set the scene for you. It's a chilly November evening, and a young 10-year-old boy tags along with his older brother and cousin to a local movie theater on the edge of a small town, Broken Arrow, Oklahoma. The place was packed with eager filmgoers anxiously munching their popcorn as they stood in line, packed together like sardines. And I stood there in that line and I looked at that movie poster in wonderment. It featured a physically beaten Rocky Balboa hoisted upon the shoulders of his trainer, Tony, and his brother-in-law, Polly. And he's draped in the American flag and he has this pained expression, gazed towards the heavens. I just get goosebumps just thinking about that. And this is all in an age before spoilers or the internet. Uh, and we'd heard all kinds of crazy rumors about this movie. And finally, in about 20 minutes, we were going to get our answers. You know, I'd always been a Rocky fan as a kid. Uh, in fact, I distinctly remember my parents taking me to see Rocky II uh, in the theaters. And then I'd go home and, and I would act it out. I couldn't have been older than four or five years old at that time. And of course, a few years later, being a huge wrestling fan, along with Stallone, Hulk Hogan, and Mr. T, uh, made Rocky III. And that was massive in our house. Uh, but this one, Rocky IV, it felt different. There seemed to be so much more on the line with this one. I mean, if Red Dawn taught us 80s kids anything, it was that we hated the Russians with a passion. We grew up with this irrational fear that our school, our supermarket, our small town could be invaded or nuked at any moment. And now... Along comes this Russian guy, this huge Russian guy with a flat top, and he's going to take out our fictional boxing champion? I don't think so, family. From the minute those two boxing gloves rise and turn and then poof, collide, I was hooked, boy. And for the next 90 minutes, I was the most patriotic American you'd ever seen. I mean, when Rocky knocked out Drago in the closing minutes, the entire audience leapt to their feet with thunderous applause, as if it really happened in real life. And I left the theater that night, all three of us, in that cold November air, 
punching, ducking, and dodging each other's right hooks all the way to the Bronco. I fell in love with boxing that night. I got a heavy bag for Christmas that year, and with any extra money I had, I saved up and bought a speed bag. I was so obsessed that I actually started wearing boxer shorts that year. Goodbye, whitey tidies. And I took magic markers to my white ones, and I decorated them up like uh, different boxing trunks, the flag style like Apollo wears in the movie. And along with my wrestling magazines and comic books and mad magazines, I started buying ring magazines. And I began following this up-and-comer named Mike Tyson, Kid Dynamite. And I started holding these imaginary boxing matches in my room against the likes of, of fictional characters like Bob, Bald Bull and Soda Popinski. And then I entered middle school. My grandpa actually started taking me to a local boxing gym run by Cecil Pettigrew, who's a local legend here in Tulsa, Oklahoma. It's over off 11th Street, or it was over off 11th Street, across from the Wonder Bread factory. For those of you who grew up in Tulsa, I'm sure you just had the, the smell of Wonder Bread uh, just, just come across your nostrils. And I trained there up until about 1995, and then I left for college. Years later, a young local boxer started making headlines, Tommy Morrison, and I began following his career. And I actually got to see Tommy fight a couple of times, and I got to see Iran Barkley and Tony Thornton and James Lights Out Tony, uh, Razor Ruddock. It was just an amazing time to be a boxing fan. So why do I have to say all of this? It's because I've been in love with boxing just about my entire life. And any time a movie about boxing comes out, well, it always gets my attention. And when I heard about a boxing movie starring natives, made by natives, for natives, let's just say that my expectation levels were in hyperdrive, because I couldn't wait to get my eyes on this movie. So with all that being said, let's talk about Black Cloud. The tagline for this movie is, The Will of a Warrior, The Heart of a Champion. I like that. That's good. That's a good one. Stars Eddie Spears as Black Cloud. Eddie Spears is Lakota Sioux. Uh, he's from South Dakota, actually. Um, his other credits include Dreamkeeper, Edge of America. Those were both in 2003. He worked with Spielberg on the TV miniseries uh, Into the West, which is actually really good if you haven't seen it. Uh, Bury My Heart at Wounded Knee. Um, he was part of the ensemble cast of Girls, Guns, and Gambling with Christian Slater, Powers Booth. He was on uh, Hell on Wheels. He was in Bone Tomahawk, which we'll get to. Um, he's got some up-and-coming films that I'm pretty jazzed to check out. One's called The Express, which tells the story of the Pony Express. And there's another one called uh, Red Man's View, uh, according to uh, Internet Movie Database. It's about the last free band of Shoshone that were discovered squatting after the Civil War. Um, his brother, uh, Michael, they're both... Uh, avid outdoorsman with hunting, fishing, archery, and horse riding uh, experience. And he plays the titular Black Cloud, if I didn't say that already. Uh, the second lead in the movie is Russell Means. He plays Bud, who's Oglala Sioux, uh, Lakota Sioux. Um, and where, where to possibly begin <laughs> with Russell Means? Uh, my goodness, he was the first uh, national director of the American Indian movement, uh, AIM, uh, in a role... In which role he in, in which the role he became prominent during the 1973 standoff between the U.S. government at Wounded Knee, he actually ran for president. Maybe some of you guys forgot about that um, as the candidate for the Libertarian Party. I mean, we'll eventually probably do a spotlight episode on him because I actually have a, a real story about him when I met him uh, years 
back, so I'll just probably save a lot of the bio for then. So let's talk about his credits. Of course, he was in Last of the Mohegans, which he was awesome in. Um, Natural Born Killers, he's in Pocahontas. Song of Hiawatha, Cowboy Up, Into the West, Pathfinder, Res Bomb, and that's just to name a few. I mean, dude's a legend. Um, I think I told you guys I actually met him one time at a book signing at the University of Oklahoma a few years back. Um, well, a lot of years back, actually. Um, he had this uh, autobiography out. Uh, it's called Where the White Men Fear to Tread. This is probably like 97, 98-ish probably. And um, the Native American Student Association had brought him in to just kind of give a lecture or a spe- uh, talk. And when you see him, if you, if you ever actually see him in real life, he really is one of the most intimidating people that I have ever shaken hands with. He's probably like 6'2", six 6'3", six probably, just this big, imposing dude. But he's very soft-spoken. And, you know, he's just one of those guys where every word he says, you know, he says it like he means it. He speaks with authority and everybody listened. Well, after the lecture, he was like signing copies of this book and I was standing in line and when it was my turn to go, I was so nervous and awestruck that um, I barely muttered my name and um, he signed it to Todd instead of Tyler. He misunderstood my name and I was actually too scared to correct him. So to this day, I, I have a book signed by Russell Means, made out to to the wrong person. <laughs> so that's my Russell Means story. But anyway, uh, Julia Jones is next. She plays Sammy. She's Choctaw and Chickasaw. Um, she was a dancer and a model before she got into acting. Um, other credits, she was in the final two seasons of ER. She also played Leah Clearwater in the Twilight Saga. She was in Winter in, uh, in the Blood with Skoden favorite Chasky Spencer. She was in the Quentin Tarantino-produced biker flick Hellride, Westworld. She's in the Dexter reboot. Um, But most recently, she is in the amazing Rutherford Falls. If you have not seen that, subscribe to Peacock. It's awesome. And there's only like 10 episodes, but it is very, very well done. It's a super smart comedy by Ed Helms. And she's in that. And then she also was on Mandalorian, uh, Chapter 4, The Sanctuary. So, yeah, she's starting to, to get out there. Uh, Nathan Arcand plays Jimmy. He's Plains Cree. Other credits, he's a Canadian actor um, known for his major role in a Canadian drama called uh, North of 60. It was a television series in which he played William McNeil, a smart mouth and cocky, troubled, misunderstood teen. It's not too far of a stretch from the character that he plays here, to be honest. But, but he's been in a ton of stuff, too. Um, just not a whole lot that I've heard of. Uh, the only thing that I've heard of him being in is Dreamkeeper and Pathfinder in 2007. He was in Grey Owl in 1999. He was in Skins in 2002. We'll all get to all of those eventually. So many movies, so little time. Um, but he also was the stuntman for Leo DiCaprio. Um, he was his personal Cliff Booth. Uh, he was the stuntman for Leo in The Reverend. And so he played the stuntman on that. But he's also in another TV series with Adam Beach and Gary Farmer called Moose TV. And that is available on YouTube. It is super funny, too. Uh, That one, I don't know when that came out, but it's got to be early 2000s, if not mid-90s. It is hilarious. Go check it out. It's called Moose TV. And it is on, uh, like I said, it's on, uh, uh, like I said, it's on YouTube. Uh, next up, Saginaw Grant is Grandpa. He's Sack and Fox. Here's another Oklahoma legend. He was born in Pawnee, 
but he was raised on a farm in Cushing, Oklahoma. He was raised traditional by both parents and grandparents. His grandfather, Curvin, was a strong medicine man, and his other grandfather, Saginaw, whom he's actually named after, was also a very spiritual man, and they taught Saginaw the customs and cultures and traditions of Sac and Fox life. He made his debut in the amazing movie War Party in 1988 with Tim Sampson, which we're going to talk about him next. Um, but he went on to act in such notable roles as The Adventures of Young Indiana Jones. He was also in Grey Owl. He was actually in Baywatch. I don't know if he ran in slow motion with a bathing suit on. I'm not sure. I haven't seen that episode. He's in Skinwalkers, Dreamkeeper, The World's Fastest Indian, My Name is Earl, American Horror Story, Breaking Bad, the Disney's failed Lone Ranger, The League, Workaholics, Winner in the Blood, Shameless, Community, just a lot of gems that he's been in. Next up is uh, Tim Sampson. That's right, another Oklahoma Skoden favorite, son of Will Sonny Sampson. If you haven't listened to that episode, go do that, please. Uh, he was also in pretty much a lot of the same movies um, that these other actors were in. Uh, Samson was in War Party. He was also in Northern Exposure, which is a groundbreaking uh, television series, and that certainly deserves a revisit. He was in Lakota Woman, Siege at Wounded Knee. He was in Tales from the Crypt, Spaced, and It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, in which he paid homage to his dad playing a character very similar to Chief Bromden in One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Next up is Branscombe Richmond as Peter. He all It's Sammy's father, basically. He is a Pacific Northwest Aleut. Um, other credits. He is basically your go-to Indian cleanup man. I mean, the dude wears a hundred different faces, hats, helmets, flak jackets. You need a guard in a kung fu spoof movie? Branscombe is there. You need an outlaw biker that can mix it up with Lorenzo Lamas? Only one word comes to mind. Branscombe. How about a bystander with blood on his hands? Uh, get Branscombe Richmond on the line, please. A Klingon gunner? Scotty, beam up Branscombe. Let's do it. This guy has been all over the map. Charlie's Angels, $6 million man. He was in Vegas with Will Sampson. Uh, he locked up with Schwarzenegger in Commando. He battled Chuck Norris in Firewalker. He uh, did a keto with Steven Seagal in Hard to Kill. He was in Showdown with Little Tokyo with Brandon Lee and Dolph Lundgren. Scorpion King with The Rock. He was in the Power Rangers. Well, yeah, Power Rangers, let's just say that. Um, he is the guy that you know and you recognize every time he's on screen. You just never knew his name until now. Branscombe Richmond. Yeah, rounding out the native cast alumni, you have Jonelle Romero. She plays Bonnie Red. She actually, oh, excuse me, getting ahead of myself. Janelle Romero, she played Bonnie Redbow in Pow Wow Highway. Here she returns as a vision of Black Cloud's mother, Vicky. She's solid in everything that I've seen her in so far. And then there's white people in the movie too. Um, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Eogas, Eogas, Eogas. I'm just kidding. Uh, you have American patriot Rick Schroeder. Um, God bless that American. He's Eddie Young. Tim McGraw plays, well, Tim McGraw or Tim McGraw with authority or Tim McGraw with a badge or he just, he's Tim McGraw. McGraw obviously took uh, squinting lessons from somebody before ruling film on this because he's always look, got this look on his face like he's just got a bad taste in his mouth. You know what I mean? Um, and every time he's on screen, he just, you know, he just has a look to him. 
And then Newman. That's right, Wayne Knight. Zed from Pulp Fiction is in this. Blah, 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 blah. All right, let's talk about the movie, shall we? I'm going to try to slow down because I think that uh, Mountain Dew Zero is starting to kick in, you know, the unofficial sponsor of Skoden Cinema. Uh, but when he's not accosting Costco employees, Rick Schroeder um, also moonlights as a movie director. Um, he's a big-headed actor who has homes in both Arizona and Colorado, and this movie was partially financed by the Chickasaw Nation. Like his children probably are to vaccinations, Schroeder is no stranger to boxing. Cinephiles may remember his spectacular, heartbreaking role as TJ in the 1978 tearjerker The Champ with John Voight. Oh boy, get those two in a room together, eh? The idea for this film, um, however, came about when Schroeder took a break from reading QAnon articles and read an editorial about a boxing coach named Cal Bahi, who runs a program for Native youths at a reservation in Arizona. Bahi overcame alcoholism through boxing and established a gym that has produced several golden and silver gloves champions, including his four sons. Well, after brashly declaring COVID-19 was a mere hoax, Schroeder decided to visit the gym, and he met Lowell Bahi, Cal's third oldest son. As luck would have it, Lowell was there working to qualify for the Olympic boxing team, and from that chance meeting, the idea for Black Cloud was born. At the time, Lowell had won six junior national titles, two USA and four all-Indian national title belts. He was only 17 years old at the time, and he was moving up to USA Boxing's Open Division for fighters between the ages of 17 and 34. His quest for Olympic stardom became the central theme of the movie, or as the movie's official website puts it, Black Cloud is an inspirational story about a young Navajo Native American boxer who overcomes personal challenges as he comes to terms with his heritage while fighting his way for a spot on the U.S. Olympic boxing team. Instead of hiring uh, a crew of workers to build a boxing gym for the movie, like, like a movie set, Schroeder just decided to ask uh, Bahi's father, who owned the gym, you know, if they could just use it as a location in the movie. So the gym that you see in this movie is the actual gym um, that's on the reservation to this day. I was stunned they wanted a movie based on our boxing club, said Cal Bahi, who actually took over the club in 1978. Um, it was one of the best sets you could ever have, um, Schroeder told the Arizona Republic from his glass house. It was the real thing. It looked so authentic because it was authentic. I mean, to me, that's such a keen aspect of the movie. The production design seems so realistic be because it is. Um, in fact, they filmed about 90% of the film on the reservation itself. And there's obviously a few scenes um, of like Monument Valley, um, and they continue to, to stun a viewer to this day, but we'll get to all that here in a bit. But anyway, um, the scenery, this is a quote, the scenery there was something from a John Ford Western, Schroeder said during a phone interview from, with the Arizona Republic in 2008. And those of you who are familiar with uh, Schroeder's anti-Chinese rhetoric probably know he was talking on a phone made right here in the good old U.S. of A. Uh, he goes on to say, I knew it would be a great opportunity to film at an interesting location and film a culture that has not been overexplored. Huh. 
I bet I can make money off these people is probably what he was thinking there. Um, anyway, he, he wrote the script in January and February of 2002. Um, the actor then went to Hollywood to look for traditional studio financial support, and he kept striking out. After reassessing the situation, he started visiting American Indian tribal councils for backing in January 2003. The Chickasaw Nation was one of the first to say yes to actually fund the film. Schroeder flew to Tulsa to talk to tribal members. Uh, he says the Chickasaw were the first and the biggest backers of the movie. And I'm sure he said that while fiendishly twisting his mustache. Uh, of course, that's just me uh, um, guessing, but probably true. He also met with the Navajo Nation because um, he had to get approval for the movie and he had to get permission to film on reservation land. Um, since boxing was a big part of the film, Schroeder called on his friend Jimmy Gambrina, who um, was the boxing, the boxing choreographer for The Champ and Rocky. You might remember him um, from the original Rocky in 1978. He was Mike, the little kind of corner man um, that, that was kind of in the gym there in mix, Mixed Gym. That's who that is. Uh, but anyway, on the off advice, though, um, off the advice of the Chickasaw Nation, he started casting using a website specializing in American Indian actors. So I got to give credit where credit is due. Um, he says that Eddie Spears was my first and only choice for Black Cloud. Um, he says he hired his friend Nathaniel Arkin as Jimmy. Schroeder was excited to get Russell Means to sign on, um, and he said he loved the look, whatever that means, of Julia Jones for Sammy, Black Cloud's love interest. And then country star Tim McGraw plays Sheriff Powers. Uh, Schroeder and McGraw had met before at what I can only assume was a Klan rally. I'm, I'm, I'm really just kidding. I, I'm taking it too far now. I'm just kidding. Um, but anyway, when McGraw was performing near their home, um, Schroeder and his wife went to the concert and then afterwards met McGraw. Um, it says uh, that Schroeder's wife, mm-hmm, um, it was her idea for McGraw to play the sheriff, and the singer agreed to do it. Schroeder had originally hired a cowboy, a local cowboy, to play uh, the role of Eddie, but that guy dropped out at the very last minute, which left Schroeder no choice but to play the part himself. So uh, the movie began filming a month later in the summer of 2003, and they had a budget of less than a million dollars. Three weeks were spent on and around the Arizona reservation, uh, and then one week was at the Golden Gloves boxing competition in Las Vegas, Nevada. All right, so moving right along with this episode, we're going to go now to the box description, and I have... Uh, the DVD. Um, you can get this movie off of Amazon. I think it's only like five bucks. I'm sure it's probably on Amazon Prime. Uh, full disclosure, I did not do my research, but I do know that you can buy this off Amazon. I'm sure you can rent it. It's definitely worth a rent. It's, it's really good. But anyway, here, here's the box description from the DVD. A boxer faces his most formidable opponent himself. In Black Cloud, an inspiring, award-winning film highlighted by knockout performances, fueled by his rage, Navajo Indian Black Cloud, Eddie Spears, is an accomplished fighter both in and out of the ring. When he gets the chance to win a spot on the Olympic boxing team, Black Cloud embarks on a journey of self-discovery that will lead him to his greatest victory, also starring Tim McGraw. They had to put that in there, didn't they? They had to put that in there. 
now that we've got all the uh, introductory boxes checked, are we ready to jump ass first into this movie? Uh, it opens in this little boxing club. It's a little resy looking boxing club. And I, I say that because um, it's only Russell Means and Eddie Spears in the entire gym. Um, it's dusty, it's grimy, it's it's a little gamey uh, to the point where you can almost smell the mixture of sweat and leather just permeating through the screen. Um, there's an assortment of fight posters and newspaper clippings on the wall. And it's really keen because in a few shots you can clearly read Lowell Bahi's name, the boxer that the film is based on. And there's numerous articles about other fighters coming out of the gym as well. Um, so you got Spears here as the titular Black Cloud, and he's working the mitts with Means playing Bud, his trainer. Um, it's sort of like this Rocky and Mick uh, scenario. But it's, perf it's a perfectly written scene um, with just the right amount of character building dialogue that tells you, the viewer, pretty much everything you need to know about the characters and the relationship between the two. There you go. That's the way. How's your wind? Good. Up to five miles. Add wind spritz. Curious how you gonna fight? Doesn't matter. Yeah, here you get Bud, the wise old sage, and he's putting his boy's cardio in check. It lets us know that Bud, he's confident in his boxer's skill, but he has a slight hesitation as to his commitment. Um, you also get the feeling here that Bud is somewhat of a fatherly figure um, who thinks and worries about Black Cloud personally, you know, not just as a fighter. Um, and then you have, on the other end, the overly confident Black Cloud, who's young, and he's hungry, and he's able to face any physical challenges head-on. Um, he has relied on his strength and ferocity um, throughout life to overcome any obstacle he's faced thus far. But there's one lesson um, that he hasn't learned yet. Um, what happens when a warrior's strength fails him? Um, it's at that point, you know, he has to rely upon discipline. And as Bud has made mention in that clip, um, he's not as dedicated as he probably could be. Um, at this point in his life, Black Cloud has gotten far just by himself and, and just doing everything he's done, but not really pushed himself um, the way a, a boxer really needs to. Um, not that he's lazy, he just... He's not as committed because he's confident. Confidence, you know, is, is, is his biggest strength at this point. But eventually, um, he's going to have to learn, though, to rely on the strength of other people. And while Black Skill, Black Skill, <laughs> while Black Cloud possesses every skill needed in the ring, um, he has a questionable heart. Um, and it's just a pretty brilliant um, little scene, uh, setup scene, um, if, if, you, if you ask me. And then about two minutes and 38 seconds into the movie, we're treated to the trope of the cinematic eagle screech.
As I'm delving into to native film, I can't help but notice um, how often this sound effect comes up. Um, I would say it's in almost 100% of the movies that I've seen so far, uh, or I've covered on this podcast so far. Um, it's enough to add it to my ever-growing list of groaners. Um, it's not so much that it, it annoys me. It's just kind of predictable in a movie featuring native characters or native stories. Um, it's one of those things that you just kind of sit around waiting for because um, you know it's going to happen. It's just a matter of how are they going to squeeze it in? Where are they going to put that sound effect in? And here it's at the very beginning of the film. Um, and side note, um, eagles, you know, they don't really screech like that. The sound that, that you're hearing is is more synonymous with that of a red-tailed hawk. So there's that. But we're introduced next to Black Cloud's surrogate family in a literal shoot-the-rodeo scene. Um, shoot-the-rodeo uh, is a term that was created by the the very funny, super smart um, YouTube page, uh, Red Letter Media. And it, it's a way to describe for a low-budget film to kind of pad the runtime and increase the production value of, of a low-budget film or, or an independent film. Um, the term originates in this hilariously bad film called Blood Shack, where for no reason at all other than to pad the 72-minute runtime, uh, you have a rodeo sequence in the middle of a slasher movie, uh, it, which is makes zero sense in, in, in the terms of storytelling in that movie but in this particular shoot the rodeo scene um, black cloud is with his girlfriend sammy and she's played wonderfully by julia jones and um, her son is tyler is there as well um, but anyway julia has gone on to make a name for herself like i said earlier in the mandalorian and the dexter reboot and more importantly uh rutherford falls so please check that out if you haven't uh, most of you, though, will probably recognize her as Leah Clearwater in the Twilight Saga. But uh, this scene um, kind of provides us with another tiny glimpse into Black Cloud's character as he kind of devilishly buys Tyler a snow cone and cotton candy against Sammy's wishes, uh, obviously. You know, Black Cloud has this very childlike, mischievous streak in him. And uh, it's, 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 it's really, like I said, it's, it's the beginning of this movie is, is very well put together. As the family unit consisting of Black Cloud, Sammy, Tyler, Bud, and his wife are just kind of, uh, you know, settling down and enjoying the festivities, the rodeo announcer welcomes one of the film's numerous antagonists, Eddie Young, uh, played by the man himself, Rick Schroeder. Uh, much to the chagrin of the spectators, um, when Eddie's name is announced, you can kind of tell it puts a little bit of an uncomfortable uh, squirm in their bottoms, especially when Eddie pulls out a near-perfect eight-second ride, you know, thrusting him to the top of the round one leaderboard. Uh, seeing this, an obviously disgusted Sammy makes a beeline to the bullpen uh, looking for Eddie. Uh, the main objective here, um, of course, is to introduce Eddie to his son, whom he's never met. And we get a little bit more um, expository dialogue about Eddie not seeing him for two years and not even bothering to call or check on him or anything. Um, so showing no interest at all in his son, a very clearly selfish character trait, uh, he turns the conversation to himself 
declaring, hey, did you see me? I, I just qualified for the finals and I'm only in town for a couple of days. And then like egregiously asks Sammy um, if she's interested in hooking up later that night, uh, forcing her to declare the only thing that she could muster. I was wondering if you'd stop by. Thought you might like to see your son. He's older than I thought. It's been two years, Eddie. It's been that long, huh? How you been? We're doing fine. Well, glad to hear it. Hey, I qualified for the finals. Yippee. There's my girl. You got a free night. What do you say? Go to hell. Damn, I miss your fire. I don't miss you. you sure about that? Maybe just a little bit? Don't you even want to know his name? <sighs> What's the point? Tyler, that's your father. So the last time we'll see him. Yeah, that is a complete setup to let the audience know just how much they need to hate Eddie Young. And trust me, it's just the tip of the iceberg because this guy proves himself to be a true scumbag as the movie progresses. But we'll get to that here in, in just a bit. But the next scene introduces us to Jimmy, um, Black Cloud's childhood friend played by Nathaniel Arkin. Um, he's that character that provides comic relief in the movie. Uh, he's there when, you know, with this witty observation or this little smart alecky comment uh, to lighten the mood, uh, especially when things get a little tense. Um, Black Cloud is kind of helping uh, Jimmy tie in and get psyched up for his, his, his ride. And uh, after Jimmy's after Jimmy's, you know, ride, successful ride, Black Cloud kind of, you know, is cheering him on and he slides down the chutes uh, until he comes to a complete halt um, because he's met face to face with Sammy's dreaded, hated ex, Eddie Young. And we get a real sense now of the cold callousness of Eddie's character. Um, if you think you hated him before, it's, it's going to get worse. Um, because he looks at Black Cloud and immediately reminds him uh, by saying, you know, uh, you know, just who dated who first uh, when he's talking about referring to Sammy. And I'm going to put date in quotes because it's really about you know, I, I nailed her first. And uh, it's, it's just it's kind of a gross little uh, piece of dialogue. And as much as it bothers me, um, I want to kind of point out um, and also add the extended metaphor of the over sexualization of native women in films. And it continually to, you know, happens over and over until more recently, you know, um, as we're becoming more aware of things like that. But it's always cringe inducing every time I see it played out in a film, um, especially one as recent as 2004. It's not that long ago. Uh, the only reason that the line is in here, though, is to make the viewer hate Eddie Moore, which is virtually impossible to do given how we just saw him exhibit zero emotions uh, upon meeting his son um, or even seeing his son for the very first time. Uh, you know, to me, I think this is kind of a, a bit overdoing it, in my opinion, and completely unnecessary because uh, we already hate the guy. Um, but anyway, uh, this notion, you know, doesn't sit too well with Black Cloud, who is just ready to Balboa Eddie like a mutton chop. Even losers get lucky sometimes. 
Where's Sammy sitting? They don't need you. Huh. And she needs you, huh? She's sweet meat, ain't she? I'm gonna forget she said that. No, you need to remember who popped that cherry. Wanna settle this? Go home, man. Mine's a red dodge. See what I mean? It's just, it's just gross. It's just a gross little line in there. But anyway, uh, noticing the tension between the two men, um, good old antagonist number two enters the picture. Sheriff Tim McGraw. Um, I, his name's Sheriff Powers, but he's nothing but Tim McGraw, uh, no matter what, what part he's playing. Uh, except for maybe the blind side. He's actually pretty good in that. But anyway, uh, Sheriff Tim McGraw saunters in, uh, just trying to make small talk with Black Cloud about boxing before um, getting to the real point of the conversation uh basically he's warning him to stay away from eddie that he's just looking for trouble and you know he's going to be he's only in town for a couple of days and he'll be gone um, and out of everybody's hair uh, before too long but not only that uh, mcgraw also gives the viewer just a little bit more insight to black cloud uh he informs him that you know i found your daddy drunk in the road the night before which I don't really like the way he says that because um, after the song that McGraw did, uh, was it called Indian Outlaw? Uh, who thought it was a good idea to have him in this movie? Uh, that's neither here nor there. But uh, Black Cloud obviously just blows off uh, Tim McGraw, uh, his, his, his warning. And um, he's sitting there watching Jimmy, uh, his own successful ride. Uh, but anyway... Black Cloud, after the ride is over, he makes his way over to check on a visually upset Sammy, and she's sitting in the cab of the truck just stewing. Uh, they both realize Black Cloud is getting ready to go put the boots to Eddie, uh, but she has this look on her face, and she says it with her eyes, you know, please don't, but they know that he's not going to listen to her because um, he's got it in his mind, uh, just with seeing the distress and anger uh, that Eddie caused. Um, you know, it really puts Black Cloud into a fever. Uh, a few words are exchanged, and, and off he goes to track down Eddie. As promised um, in the clip, Eddie is packing gear next to his rig when Black Cloud rounds the corner, kicking up dust. Uh, there's a little bit of back and forth between the two, a little smack talk um, between the men, and then boom, it's on. Well, look who showed up. You want that squaw, you can have her. I'm done with it. It's time you're taught a lesson. And you're the badass Indian who's gonna give me it. Are we talking or fighting? So yeah, within about five minutes, uh, Schroeder's character uh, labels a native woman not only sweet meat, but he also calls her a squaw. Uh, it's absolutely redundant uh, to have these scenes cut so close together. Uh, because, in my opinion, the way that Native women um, are portrayed and spoken of by characters in this movie is a big problem. I mean, I'll get to it more later because I'm telling you now, this is just the tip of the tri-stake. Uh, but anyway, Eddie puts up a decent fight, but when it comes to landing pun punches strategically and accurately um, against a boxer, he's obviously outclassed because Black Cloud proceeds to beat the everlasting piss out of him. And he leaves Eddie literally like begging for him to stop. Um, not completely satisfied with the beatdown, though. Uh, Black Cloud proceeds to just beat him unconscious. Uh, Eddie is left in the, tr uh, in the trailer just bleeding and, and gasping and, and just a bloody heap. Uh, it's a pretty vicious beatdown. 
after Eddie is uh, mercilessly uh, tenderized by Black Cloud, uh, next up we're at the Chapter House, um, where we are introduced to antagonist number three, Council Leader Peters, played by the always awesome Branscombe Richmond. Uh, the dude is tangled with all the top action stars, Branscombe. Um, he was uh, Schwartz. He was with Schwarzenegger in Commando. Uh, he was with Carl Weathers in Action Jackson, and he's always uh, favorite of mine. He he was in Hard to Kill with Steven Seagal, but in this movie he plays a council leader, Peters. Um, we'll also learn that he's Sammy's father. Um, he is informing uh, a group of people about the benefits of opening a casino in the community. The applause is broken up, however, by good old Saginaw Grant, the voice of reason, who vehemently disagrees with casinos. Um, he believes that the Navajo can only prosper in righteousness as opposed to the dirty cash associated with casinos. And that's his words, not mine. Uh, recognizing the wisdom and concerns in his voice, though, uh, Peter quickly, uh, Peters quickly dismisses this notion, and he explains how casinos help with education, medical, and emotional needs of the tribe. And I'm not sure why this scene is in here, because it doesn't really add much to the story or, or build up any characters or anything. Um, it doesn't, you know, advance the plot or anything. You just you know, I don't know. You sort of get the impression at first that it's going to set something up, like later in the film, with maybe a revolt against a corporation. Uh, maybe they're going to be building um, the casino on some kind of holy site, and the only way to stop them is to, uh, you know, raise the funds. And Black Cloud sort of has to fight uh, this, you know, big money per with this big money purse or something. I, I don't know, overcoming the odds and like this big money underdog prize fight. But uh, nothing like that happens, actually. Um, it was just a way to introduce characters, I guess. Because seriously, the only thing that, that happens in this scene is Black Cloud shows up at the council house just so Sammy can tell him, go home. Okay, here we go. Because the next scene um, is the first big laugh out mo loud moment for me. Uh, because back at Black Cloud's residence, or the Black Cloud residence, we see uh, Tim Sampson. He, he's drunkenly dancing and hooting and hollering about uh, snaggaroos. Uh, he's got this house full of people. I kid you not, that's actually what he says. He says something like, Woohoo! Like, come have a drink with me, Black Cloud. Uh, that's my son. Get him a beer, snaggaroo. Uh, I mean, it's awesome. I mean, you, you have to think that uh, the line is ad libbed because I don't see Schroeder, you know, being savvy enough or, or in the know enough to come up with that line himself. But Black Cloud turns down the drink. Um, and, you know, as he does that, he, he, he turns it down. Yeah, there's like this emotional light switch uh, gets flipped because his dad sees it um, as him being disrespectful. Um, so if you're keeping score at home, uh, we have now arrived at Groner number three, the drunken Indian. Now, keep in mind, we're only 11 minutes in, um, so I don't understand why movies just can't show natives casually drinking a beer or two. I mean, if you think about it, we see alcohol being consumed constantly, like in safe, responsible social settings in most, you know, Anglo films or, or you know, most Hollywood films or just most films in general. Um, you know, it's associated with, with fun. It, it's, you know, your occasional serious moments in a film. So what's wrong with, with just having a native girl or a guy just sitting around, you know, just casually enjoying a drink? 
We're not allowed to do that for some reason because with natives um, depicted on screen, it's always alcohol abuse. We're always over drinking or we're, we're drunk or, or, or drunk in. Um, and they show us in these rundown homes or these seedy bars, you know, if you're drinking, you usually have an unkempt appearance or, or your or manner. It just it just bugs me. Um, you know, the only film that I've covered on the podcast that reflected this sort of non-abusive drinking stereotype is Pow Wow Highway. And at no point in that movie were the characters, you know, drunk or, or desperate or, you know, okay, I'm not going to go off on a tangent, um, but for all future filmmakers or all current filmmakers out there, I know more responsible native drinkers than I do abusive native alcoholics. And I'm not going to say they don't exist. I'm just saying in the circle that I run with, that just seems to be the case. So anyway, back to the movie. So after Black Cloud turns down the drink, he heads to the kitchen and Samson follows him and again, you know, offers him a drink, tries to get him to drink. Black Cloud refuses again. And this is when Samson starts getting a little testy. Um, he condescendingly tells all the guests, uh, including the Snaggaroos, y'all go home, lights out. Black Cloud says the party's over. Uh, you know, get out. You know, like uh, Black Cloud's better than him and um, because he doesn't drink. So we find out, though, uh, the real reason why Black Cloud just wanted to go home and go to bed is because the next day um, he's in the ring trading punches in an amateur boxing tournament. Um, he's in the ring. He's digging shots to the body, uh, much to the delight of the crowd of about you know 15 spectators, which again is, is pretty pretty keen. Um, I'm, I'm guessing that the extras casting call just didn't get out of bed that morning. Uh, but of one of the 10 people in the audience is is Peter Green, and he's usually typecast. That's that's the actor's name, Peter Green, I should say. He's usually typecast, you know, more in villain roles like Judgment Night. Remember that one, Judgment Night, the the movie with Dennis Leary and Emilio Estevez. Man, I love that movie. And the only thing I love more than that movie was the movie soundtrack. It was one of the very first times I remember of like these collaborations between um, like metal and rap uh, or, you know, alternative and rap. It was it was pretty cool. It's Slayer and Ice-T have a track on it. Um, you have Living Color and Run DMC. Sonic Youth and Cypress Hill also um, collaborate. Mudhoney and Sir Mix-a-Lot. I had that cassette tape uh, back in the day, and I jammed that thing in my, you know, the old 87 Oldsmobile Cutlass that I, that I had in high school. Uh, good times, good times. But anyway, back to Peter Green. Um, you know, he's been the heavy in Judgment Night. He was in Under Siege 2, Dark Territory. Um, he was in Ticker, both of those films with um, one of my my favorite uh, actors, Steven Seagal. Uh, but he's probably most remembered as that rent-a-cop uh, Zed that gets filleted in the basement of the pawn shop in Pulp Fiction. That's that's probably where most of you guys know him from. But in this film, he plays Norm Olsen, who's this Olympic boxing scout. I mean, is there a thing? Is, is that a thing? An Olympic boxing scout? I don't know. Um, anyway, Olsen is sitting outside. Uh, he's on the phone. Uh, he's sitting ringside, excuse me. He's on the phone um, explaining to whoever's on the other end that, you know, there's nothing to, to get too excited about here, just lots of bangers and brawlers. And then walks in the fourth, possibly fifth film antagonist, Rocket. Um, Rocket is this brash, 
you know, Apollo Creed slash Muhammad Ali type fighters. He's he's flashy. He's arrogant. He's ostentatious. Um, you know, Rocket is there um, not to fight. He's only there to cheer on his cousin, who just so happens to be in the ring at that time with Black Cloud. Um, it's kind of ironic um, because you assume Rocket is supposed to be like this, you know, Mayweather type colorful character but the way it's presented is, is very amateurish first he has like this entourage it's trainer manager uh hype man i don't really know what this guy is just best friend uh but it's one person and their wardrobe it's probably one of those you know hey just come dress you know with your own clothes kind of wardrobes because it looks looks like it came you know right off the uh, the, the loud rack at marshall's um, just this very, uh, <laughs> I can't really, it's like tracksuit. It's just, you know it when you see it. But anyway, uh, the, the hype man, I guess, he's got an unlit cigar in his mouth and he's like spouting about his boy being the best so that he deserves the best. And, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but we're at an am- we're talking about an amateur fighter who's just on the verge of, of going pro. I mean, uh, last time I checked, you don't just step into million-dollar fights the first time out unless you are sort of this Olympic fighter. And even then, I don't think you really fight for high-dollar prize money at that point in, or at that stage in the career. But anyway, he's running his mouth like you know he's the best in the world. And I don't know. Uh, maybe that's the character, but it just seems kind of silly and senseless here. Hey, man, what's up with you trying to holler at my man, man? You know how many kids he got? Okay, you're talking about money, okay? I'm talking about the amateurs. I can't, there's no money in the amateurs. We're talking about Olympic gold, Rocket. Do you know what it's like when it's mad cold, you ain't got no heat? Hmm? At Christmas time, there's nothing under the tree? You know what that's like, Norman? Okay, okay, okay. Hold on, hold on, hold on. What about this, okay? I'll get you a call. We'll talk to one of our corporate sponsors. We'll get you a deal. You can get it for free? Come on, Rocket. I, mean, I can bend the rules. I can't break them. You can't break the rules. The rules are meant to be broken. This is the amateurs. And my boxer ain't no amateur. He's a pro. Yeah, so while that conversation is taking place, Black Cloud is in the ring and he's on the receiving end of a real butt kicking. Um, Rocket's cousin or nephew or, or whatever, um, who Norm Norm tells us is the number one ranked light heavy, he's really taking it to him. I mean, uh, in fact, as the bell rings, uh, cousin uh, lands a punch that puts Black Cloud basically out on his feet. So the bell sounds for the next round. It's basically more of the same. You have um, Cousin kind of peppering Black Cloud's face just like scrambled eggs. But then something happens um, out of nowhere. Black Cloud starts getting the upper hand in a few of the exchanges. And this kind of intrigues Norm, who begins asking the judges around him, um, you know, who, who's that, who is this gloved man? Who is that kid? Uh, just when you think Black Cloud, though, is about to stage this miraculous comeback, um, he's the recipient of this overhand right that once again sends him reeling. He, like, falls back into the ropes. He's just in the defensive position, um, covering up, and the cousin just, like, starts to work on him. You body blow, body blow, left, left, uppercut, body blow. And then it happens. The action slows. The music slows. You get close-ups of Black Cloud's anguished, pulverized faces. It's just getting pounded. Uh, his eyes narrow. His nostrils flare. His teeth grit. And he admits this literal tiger growl. Literal tiger snarl, y'all. 
and we hear like this faint war cry in the background as Black Cloud suddenly starts rallying back. It's it's the classic Hulk Hogan comeback, sans the little finger thing that he does in the air. So Cuz starts landing punches to Black Clouds, uh, but they're they're not phasing him. They're just bouncing off like like bullets. Uh, he shrugs him off uh, like King Kong swatting at planes. Black Cloud then advances forward, and he starts landing. He just lands this huge left hook, and Cousin kind of starts sprawling into the ropes. It's like a single punch. And now it's Black Cloud's pressing. He's the one pressing all the action. He just becomes unstoppable. He's dodging and ducking, like everything that's thrown at him. Like nothing's touching him. Uh, and then he just starts just mercilessly pounding Cuz into submission. And everyone takes notice, including Norm, um, who sort of leaps to his feet, looking like he's just witnessing an execution. Bud knowingly gleams, and Rocket looks very concerned. Uh, Black Cloud seemingly just shakes his head as if he's just kind of coming out of a trance as we hear the soft sounds of native singing filling our ears um, along with like the, the coupled with the roar of a crowd. It's all over by it, but the 10 count at this point and your winner by knockout is Black Cloud. Uh, quick fun fact though about all of the literal fighting scenes. Uh, those were done by Tatanka Means and I don't, uh, Russell Means son and I don't know if um, it's even listed as part of his credits in the uh, the in Internet Movie Database, but uh, Tatanka was actually a fighter. Um, he didn't obviously didn't train at the uh, Bahi Gym in Arizona, but he was a, a trained fighter. And so, anytime you see uh, the fight, the action, and the ring—that's all Tatanka uh, means. And um, all the close-ups, of course, were Eddie Spears. Uh, but anyway, back in the locker room, um, Bud gives us the predictable explanation of what just happened. You see, it looked like Black Cloud just came uh, out of some sort of trance. Um, if you're thinking that, if you've seen the movie, that's because he did. You guessed it. Groaner number four, groaner number five. I'm losing track myself. A character crosses over into the spirit world. You don't even know when it happens, do you? What? What happens in the ring? I don't know. I just fight. Crossing over into the spirit world is a powerful thing. What do you mean? Where you went. Our ancestors called for you, and you answered. There was this one voice that rose above the rest. You are chosen. Figure out why they're calling you. Great. But only medicine men had to deal with this. <laughs> okay. A uh, couple things. Uh, first, I 100% believe, you know, um, that I have this sort of spiritual connection with my ancestors. Uh, don't get me wrong, I think you'd be hard-pressed to find a native out there that probably doesn't. But to see it played out in a movie um, as this, you know, ability to gain this, like, untapped power and strength to uh, overcome, like, physical obstacles is it's, it's a little daunting to me, a little pandering, um, especially in this scene. I mean, um, ost ostensibly, um, he just called on his blood lineage to beat somebody up. 
Um, it's it's sort of kind of like saying, you know, threatening, you know, my dad can beat up your dad, and it, but, you know, and I hope I don't take a, a whole lot of flack for this, but um, the connection that I feel uh, isn't isn't really like that at all. Um, but I'm only one person, and, and I carry my own personal experiences, and I have my own thoughts on it, and and that that might differ from yours, and and, and that's okay. You know, I, I can't I can't uh, say I. I you know, personally, I can't say I pray for physical strength, but, you know, more emotional and spiritual stability and guidance. Um, to me, um, again, I'm just one person. The heart of a warrior doesn't always mean just having bodily strength, you know, or physical strength to, um, you know, overthrow your obstacles or, or adversaries. To, to me, it means having emotional strength and fortitude to, you know, just do what is just and right um, in the face of what's not always the popular decision. Um, I believe, you know, um, struggle. it's all about the struggle. It, it's about the trials. It's the suffering and the conflicts. Uh, it's through that, you know, that's where we find our knowledge and our power Um it's, it's the power of the journey of those tough times and how they mold or help mold our thought process. It's kind of about humbling yourself, you know what I mean? Um, no matter what the outcome, good or bad, this experience is going to make me a better person. A better person. Uh, it's gaining understanding through the experience. Um, it's not about, oh, oh, grandfather, give me brute strength to beat this guy up. I mean, I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong, and again, please don't don't take me to, to task for, for, for my, my thought. It's just that's just how I think. And again, it could be different from, from what you think. All right, trying to keep back on track here or getting back on track. Um, Norm, um, at that moment after that little conversation between Bud and Black Cloud, he comes busting into the locker room. Um, he's really excited at meeting this new rookie prospect. Um, after the formalities are out of the way, um, Olsen is ready to talk business. Um, and that business is getting Black Cloud to come try out for the Olympic team. Excuse me, guys. I don't want to disturb you. I'm Norm Olsen. I saw you fight today, young man. Black Cloud. Nice to meet you, Black Cloud. How long have you been boxing? I've been fighting my whole life. What is it you want, Mr. Olsen? I don't want anything. What's your name? Bud. Good to meet you. No, I just, uh, I saw something out there today that I haven't seen for quite some time. Oh, yeah? What was that? I'm sorry, I didn't get your name. Jimmy. Look, I saw raw talent today, combined with clarity of purpose. I was just wondering, you know, you got a gift. What you plan on doing with it? What's it to you? I'm just a man who doesn't like to see talent wasted. Oh, I see. Unless I play by your rules, I'm a waste. You ever think of boxing in the Olympics? Questions never been asked. Well, he should. I mean, he's incredibly talented. And a man only gets so many highlights in his life, and I guarantee you, he box for your country in the Olympics, it'll be one of them. And your interest? I'm an Olympic boxing scout. Oh, forget it. I ain't interested. Howdy, let's see what he has to say, man. No, I ain't interested in what the man has to say. Well, why's that? Because it's lies. It always is. I'm sorry, I'm not following you. It's in their soul. They don't know any better. Why should I fight for your nation when all you've done is murder and imprison my people, huh? Black Cloud, 
I didn't invite you here. You're not welcome. Black Cloud, I've done nothing to your people. Look, uh, there's an Olympic trial in Vegas. You should be there. I fight for the Navajo Nation. Well, let me tell you what. The notion of Black Cloud fighting for any nation other than the Navajo Nation is shot completely out of the water. Um, he has this um, complete distrust, not just for Norm or the Olympics, but rather anything that's remotely Hutki um, and up to and including the armed forces. Um, we'll, we'll get to that in a bit. He kind of, well, we'll get to it when it's appropriate. We get a slice, though, here um, of the inner turmoil that kind of burns inside Black Cloud that will, will you know, rear its ugly head later in the movie. But the fact that he just sort of, you know, in lesser words, just vomits forth this tripe without any kind of precedent um, is a bit confusing and, frankly, you know, a little uneasy because he looks like a complete jackass here. Um, you know, I, I understand the cultural and historical hatred of the white man, um, but the way this comes across, it just seems a bit extra to me. You know, as the film progresses, we get the fuller picture and understanding of Black Cloud's sentiment. But at this point, we're like 15 minutes in. It's just like this nuclear holocaust of left field babble. It just comes out of nowhere. So, uh, you know, I, I so totally see Schroeder, Ricky Schroeder, the writer, you know, behind his, his typewriter, assuredly, you know, grinning, you know, while he's hammering out this crap, you know, like, uh, like this is good stuff. This is good stuff. This is captivating. Um, oh, this will get him talking. But um, anyway, <laughs> not getting the answer that he expects um, out of Black Cloud, Norm just kind of leaves. Um, and so the first question I have is, where's Bud in all of this? Why, why doesn't he step in and, and try to reason um, just a little bit with Black Cloud? Uh, I don't know either. If you've seen the movie, uh, you know, it, it is what it is. But anyway, the next scene, you have this myriad of just beautiful Arizona landscape shots. Just beautiful. Now, I live in Oklahoma where it's like a lot of dust and high grass and flat hills. Um, not to say we don't have our pretty parts, but um, not like, your, like, you know, the Arizona landscapes. You know, I can't imagine um, waking up and seeing that outside my door every morning or going to work every morning and, and seeing that. To me, that's got to be awesome. Um, Black Cloud um, now is, is getting his road work in, and he's he kind of runs into, literally runs into a herd of galloping wild horses, and they're kicking and whinnying in the desert sand. Um, I assume this is either some kind of metaphor for the wild spirit or a comparison of Black Cloud to the power of nature untamed. Um, or maybe it's both. I don't know. But as Black Cloud is running um, above the horses, he's kind of like on this mountain ledge. He just decides to jump off and land on one of the horses. Uh, as it's been you know, pretty well, well documented, Spears is an incredible horseman. And, you know, he just sort of takes hold of the, the mane uh, of the bareback, you know, and just goes for it. He just rides the crap out of that horse. In fact, he, he rides it right into town, um, gallops um, or moseys right on up to Sammy, who is at work at either a school or a daycare um, or something. There's kids running around on the playground. And with a little coaxing, um, Sammy agrees to ride off into the literal sunset with him. 
Um, they ride across the gorgeous landscape um, that looks into the valley with these other grazing horses. And it's here um, in this scene that Sammy and Black Cloud share a real moment of tenderness and, and vulnerability. He declares his love for her. He, he reveals that you know, he's, he's not scared of anything. The only thing he's scared of is losing her um, even more than the dentist. And that's that's comes from the movie. It's a pretty funny line there. So as the two embrace at the end of the first act, you sort of get this feeling that this is a setup for Black Cloud to somehow lose her uh, later in the movie. Um, there, there couldn't be any other reason to have these lines in here. So you know it's going to happen, but the question is how? how how's he going to lose her? Well, that setup gets rolling pretty quick because the next morning the couple arrive um, to apply for tribal housing at the building complex and um, we get the impression that um, asking for any type of assistance or help from anyone is demoralizing to to black cloud the sentiment of course doubles um, you know if that person or the establishment is white uh, Black Cloud is, is obviously uncomfortable. Um, he's dressed up in like in a, in a tie and, and a button-up shirt, and you know, and you know. Anyway, but if asking for tribal assistance is the worst thing to happen to him, uh, well, his day is about to get a whole lot worse because look who shows up, Newman. <laughs> That's right, Mr. Jurassic Park himself, Wayne Knight, Newman in Seinfeld, um, shows up. He absolutely pervs and cringes his way right into your living rooms. Uh, if you hated Newman, uh, you are really going to hate Turpin, uh, Mr. Turpin, because he plays this really bile-inducing character from the Housing Authority. Now, um, if this next clip does not make your skin crawl, I uh, am convinced that you have no soul. So, take it away, Newman. Hi. Can I help you? I have a housing appointment with a Mr. Turpin. Your features are too delicate to be a Hopi. And the way you carry yourself, too refined for a ute. Oh, neither tribe is privileged to call you theirs. You're a Navajo. Oh, Denenisle. <laughs> I'm Turpin. Absolutely disgusting. Oh, but hold on, because it gets worse. Let's see how I can help you. Come on in. Okay. I read in the paper that a housing project with 600 homes might get funded. Do you have any idea how long that waiting list is? I, uh, I can't see you getting a house for three to five years. However, if you would like to have lunch, we could explore other options that I'm sure would cut that time down considerably. You are of legal age, correct? Turned 21 last winter. That's fantastic. What a what an exciting time in a woman's life. You're so full of power and freedom over your choices. Would you care for a drink? No, thank you. 
Are you sure? It's cherry schnapps. Goes down really easy. Oh, you know, I just remembered. There are several homes that are currently unoccupied because they're being renovated. Do you have an application I could fill out? Sure you wouldn't like a taste? Yeah, I'm telling you, Turpin skyrockets to the top of our ever-growing list of antagonists um, in his only scene in the movie. Of course, uh, and I apologize for that clip going long because I just it, there's a lot in there. But uh, we all know what he's trying to do, so there's no real need to like elaborate on it. Um, but this marks the third time in the film that Sammy is referred to as um, some sort of like sexually desired object or trophy. And it's a common theme in this movie, and it's one that really gets under my skin more than any other. And that is um, the Indian Maiden. While Hollywood, um, when they're not, you know, portraying uh, native men as uh, drunkards or, or uh, mystic shamans, um, occasionally they portray us as brave, heroic warriors or um, wise, passive medicine men. The female counterparts, um, however, are typically portrayed as these beautiful objects of lust or desire. This uh, so-called maiden stereotype, um, you know, more recently can be found in the since-rebranded Land O'Lakes Butter Labels. Uh, you have Disney films um, aimed towards children. And even more brashly in uh, something like Gwen Stefani's um, portrayal of indigenous princess, of an indigenous princess for her 2012 music video, uh, Looking Hot, uh, which if you haven't seen it, get thee to YouTube, um, which uh, you probably haven't, maybe you forgot about it, I don't know, head to YouTube, ask yourself, um, you know, as you're watching that video, um, in today's current climate, why is this still acceptable? Um, it's worse to me than like that, the buttless legging girls, the powwow snag or whatever that movie, that video that was going around. Anyway, um, representation of uh, indigenous women um, as collectively promiscuous beings or objects of sexual desire for white men or any or any man for that matter. Um, have serious real-world consequences. In fact, um, indigenous women suffer higher rates of sexual assaults, and they're often perpetrated by non-indigenous men. According to the book, um, and this is where I got all of this from, uh, Feminism and Womanisms, a woman's studies reader, Indigenous girls are often subjected to derogatory uh, and sexual comments uh, more than their counterparts. Uh, so it says here, quote, um, the writer of the book, Kim Anderson, she says, whether princess or squaw, native femininity is sexualized. Uh, this understanding finds its way into our lives and our communities. Sometimes it means constantly having to fend off the advances of people with an appetite for the other. Um, and I put that in like air quotes. It may involve a continual struggle to resist crass, sexualized interpretation of one's being. So both epithets um, in that you know, paragraph were used in this film. 
the word squaw itself um, is actually a sexual or racial slur, and it's one commonly used today, um, even by our former commander-in-chief, uh, who uh, I'm not going to mention. In fact, any use of the word um, squaw is considered offensive, derogatory, misogynist, and racist. Um, maybe that's why uh, Trump used it. The other, <laughs> the word itself, though, um, let's talk about that. Um, where does that come from? Well, reportedly, uh, it comes from a published study of American Indian languages in English, a key into the language of America written way back in 1643, by the obviously honest Puritan minister, Roger Williams. Uh, Williams um, reported usage of related uh, morphemes um, along the uh, Narragansett people of Rhode Island, including squaw, which meant woman, or squasuk, which is women, or uh, keeg squaw, uh, virgin or maid, or segagus squaw, widower, or sasquinit, woman's go uh, god. Personally, though, I've never read any of this uh, study, so I can't confirm any of the information provided here. Um, I just kind of did like a deep dive on the internet about the, of the word squaw. So take it for what you will. But um, over time, the word squaw became used as a general word for all indigenous women. And um, so if you don't think it's a big deal to loosely throw that term around, then obviously you've never read anything by social activist LaDonna Harris, um, who is Comanche. Uh, when speaking about empowering Native American school children in the 1960s at uh, Ponca City in Ponca City, Oklahoma, she recounted, um, quote, we tried to find out what the children found most painful about school, um, you know, because they were having a very high dropout rate uh, at that time. Uh, native children were. The children said that they all felt humiliated almost every day by teachers calling them squaws or chief and using all these other old horrible terms. As the word developed over time, so did the severity of the implication. What started as an ethnic slur toward native women um, soon developed into a term used to describe the enslaved, the demeaned, and voiceless childbearer. Um, sort of a sexual punching bag. So let's get away from using that word. I don't use it um, you know, in my everyday language. I don't use that word at all. Um, I try to, to you know, keep my language as, as uh, safe as I possibly can um, because you never know who's listening out there. I don't know, you know what your experience is, but um, you know, I would love to, to, to get away, you know, start a kind of a, a rally cry, especially in this, in this day's climate, today's climate, to, to stop using that word, um, either just for jokes or, or, or whatever. Um, it's, it's just time to end all of that. So uh, back to the film. Um, before Turpin can get his, you know, pasty meat hooks into Sammy, the moment is thankfully interrupted by Black Cloud, as you heard at the tail end of that, he comes in the door. So when Sammy introduces Black Cloud as her boyfriend, Turpin's like entire demeanor changes. You can tell he's going to make this process of getting assistance just a living hell for them. Um, he sort of dismisses the couple from his office, promising, you know, hey, just come back um, right after lunch, wink, 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 right? So after lunch or, you know, some undisclosed time later, we find 
uh, Black Cloud and Sammy um, patiently sitting outside his office door. Um, they're kind of killing time, just kind of looking around at the office and, you know, looking at there's like a, a, a poster of, um, you know, uh, alcoholism, you know, and uh, suicide and, and mental health and all those kinds of things. But um, as they're kind of reading those posters, uh, this young, attractive Native woman uh, emerges from Turpin's uh, office and um, she kind of makes eye contact with um, Sammy and Black Cloud and quickly kind of buttons up her blouse. And I'm not sure if this is supposed to be played for comedy, but it really misses the mark either way. Um, you know, again, leading further credence to the horrid maiden trope. Um, but following the young woman um, out the door is a smug turpin, and he's got a file folder in his hand. And he turns his attention from the young woman um, scurrying out of his office to Black Cloud and Sammy, where he regretfully, smugly, condescendingly uh, informs them that they are not eligible for housing assistance in the most vomit-inducing, patronizing way possible. Boy, how time flies. Things took quite a bit longer as uh, I had unexpected company for lunch. Mr. Turpin, we've had a long day and we have a long drive home. Oh. If we could, we'd like to do what we need as far as applying for housing. Oh, sure. I'm sorry I took up so much of your valuable time. But you know, uh, rights to benefits is a black and white issue. Or should I say a red and white issue? <laughs> do you know your bloodline? I know my mother, my father, and my grandfather. Yeah, well, that's not surprising. Most of you don't know more than that. But uh, lucky for you, it's all recorded. Here's your certificate of Indian blood. Looks good. Now, your CIB is very interesting. Your mother, Victoria Nez, who's deceased, correct? Was the daughter of Joseph Nez still alive? Mary Bahi, deceased, who were the children of Joseph Nez and Elsa Johnson, who were the children of White Wolf and Nanaba. And that's as far back as I need to go. Because that's where your trouble lies. White Wolf. Also known as Hans Schroeder. Born in Hamburg, Germany. I've walked with blue eyes in the dreamland. Yeah, well, next time you and Gramps go for a hike, maybe you can tell him to keep it in his pants. Or you can punch him in those blue eyes and make him black because, boy, you are a mixed blood. And your name on this application pushes Miss Haskey to the back of the line. You're a small man. You hide behind your fear. Excuse me? Let's go. You took what you had no right to take. Look, I think it's time for you to go. Listen to your woman. You stink with fear. Look, I don't have to listen to this. Out. Get out. Before I go. Hi, Dishley. They say to pity you. Uh-oh. He has done it now. Uh, Black Cloud is so distraught over this revelation he grabs Turpin by the throat and just kind of chokes him a, a little bit. But that's the rub of the whole movie, uh, what you just heard there. Black Cloud finds out that he's like one one-hundredth Hutkey. Uh, this, like I said, revelation becomes the catalyst for this insane tailspin that his life is about to take. Um, on the quiet drive home, Black Cloud, he's like simmers and he marinates himself in inner anguish and trying her best to comfort him. You know, Sammy's telling him, it's okay, it's okay, don't be upset, it's no big deal. 
but Black Cloud kind of nonsensically just blurts out, if you don't want to be with me, I get it. Um, he's like so quick to jump to that conclusion. Uh, I understand. I mean, he's, uh, you know, he's been a witness to the hurt inflicted to Sammy by other white men. Um, but this line and this, this behavior is, is just going a bit far. In fact, um, Sammy reassures him, you know, how much she and her son love and appreciate him. And she really goes out of her way to tell him that, which really brings me to ask this question. You know, if Black Cloud is so upset uh, about finding out that he's like 164th white, you know, how should he feel or how does he feel towards Sammy's son, Tyler, who's half? Uh, I mean, that that wouldn't that bother him as well? Um, the the idea of blood quantum to uh, a black cloud it, it doesn't really add up to me um i mean we've already established that black clouds um like this quick-tempered hothead who's very impulsive at times but um i would think you know during her trying to comfort him sammy would have mentioned that that fact to black cloud at some point it's uh you know it's barely glossed over and um, just it's basically her son is a moot point uh, according to Black Cloud. The next morning, Black Cloud mounts the wild horse that he's apparently tamed from the other day and he rides out to Grandpa's. Uh, we're treated to some more you know, really breathtaking visuals of the Arizona landscape. Uh, when he arrives uh, at Grandpa's, who's played by Saginaw Grant, um, you know, he gets this warm welcome. After a little subtle talk about wolves and, uh, you know, Black Cloud drops his ancient white man secret. Just, who the F is White Wolf? Uh, but instead of getting the answer, we immediately cut back to Black Cloud at home, desperately searching for his keys. And after a once again drunk Tim Sampson tells him the bedroom... Uh, Black Cloud steps over countless passed out people uh, on his quest to find them. Uh, while pilfering through his, his father's chester drawers, he comes across a picture of his, of his mom. I mean, at least that's what I think it is. Um, and he takes uh, kind of like this moment to reflect with fondness uh, about the memory of her. But the moment is fleeting. Um, kind of as he remembers what sent him there to begin with. Um, he's looking for his truck keys. He's frustrated beyond relief um, at his inability to find to find what he's looking for. Uh, so Black Cloud uh, just walks back into the living room and just kicks over uh, Tim Sampson's 1990s stereo stack. And you guys all know the one I'm talking about. Um, it's got the radio receiver, dual tech, uh, you know, got the dual tape decks, the turntables on top. Um, we all have one. You know, hell, I still have one. I actually have two. I have one in my house and one in my, my classroom. But uh, anyway, with the stereo now is like this smoking heap of rubble. The second order of business now is kicking out all the white people. Uh, and that's kind of what sets Tim off. Um, you know, he, he immediately reminds Black Cloud just whose house he's living in. To which Black Cloud retorts, you know, it ain't yours either. It belongs to the white man. And, you know, everything we own here, everything you have uh, is the white man's, um, including the curse of White Wolf. Uh, when Tim tries to remove his wife's wedding ring from a chain around Black Cloud's neck, 
Uh, he gets a serious rap on the beard. Uh, he is knocked literally unconscious with just one solid punch. Uh, Black Cloud gets the ring off the floor and the truck keys out of the pockets of a lifeless Tim Sampson and then heads out the door to training. But before he's even able to break a real sweat during this particular training session, uh, two sheriff cars pull up to Bud's house. And, you know, emerging from the patrol car like he's got some of the sorest balls in town um, is Tim McGraw. Um, he, he's looking for Black Cloud. Uh, it seems like he's a person of interest in connection to the butt whooping that he put on Eddie Young. Uh, problem is, though, is that McGraw is out of his jurisdiction. Um, he can't really do a whole lot on tribal land. And Black Cloud knows this, so he like arrogantly steps outside the house. Um, the situation quickly escalates um, when Tim McGraw accuses Black Cloud of attempted murder. Uh, his jeans are so tight, I'm actually surprised he was um, able to jump to that conclusion. Because attempted murder, that, that's a bit of a stretch, isn't it? But, uh, I mean, a, a policeman worth half his salt could, you know, easily put these pieces together. Uh, I mean, McGraw already knows Black Cloud is good with his hands, but despite these facts, he quickly alleges that Black Cloud used pipes to tenderize that white meat. But just when you think uh, there's going to be, like, this uh, uh, rumble, uh, Tribal Sheriff Yazi, or Yazi, uh, excuse me, uh, comes up, uh, he drives up to mediate, uh, thus saving the day. Knowing that he's in the wrong, an aggravated Tim McGraw tucks tail and runs. Um, but before he leaves, though, he reminds Black Cloud that he, you can't stay on the res forever. Um, and he tells him he's going to have eyes all over him. Hey, Sheriff, what brings you out here? Well, if I said it was a beautiful scenery, I'd be lying, wouldn't I? How'd Army treat you? Saw some things, some good, some bad. You're flying one of those uh, tank killers. What do they call those things? Apache. Isn't that funny? Navajo flying an Apache. Yeah, Sheriff, what brings you up here? Well, that's the second time I've been asked that, so guess a better answer. Looking for the driver of that truck. Jim. Look at him, boy. Hold it. No disrespect intended, Sheriff. Why don't we talk out here? Step aside now and let my boys do their job. If they have a job to do, I won't get in the way. Now, why don't you tell me what's going on? You got any first-hand knowledge about this? Because if you don't, we got nothing to talk about. Honey, please call Lieutenant Yazi and ask him to come out here. Now, Bud, why'd you have to go and complicate things like that, man? Look, got the victim in the hospital, and I've got three witnesses to the attempted murder. Attempted murder? Right. Who's in the hospital? Bud, we're not in the habit of divulging victims' information. Lieutenant Yazi's already headed this way, honey. What happened, Blackland? Tell Eddie Young a lesson. That's bullshit, son. You tried to kill him. You'd be dead if I wanted him dead. Is that a fact? Why don't you get the car so we go downtown and clear this up? 
Stand still until we talk to Lieutenant Yazoo. You've got no power on the res. You and I both know you can't stay on the res forever. Say, isn't your sister married to a young? Yeah. It's my nephew lying in hospital. Not smart. What are you doing? You know you're supposed to give me a heads up when you're on the res. See? You have no power here. Son, don't be talking shit you can't back up. Now get in the car. Shut up. Look, we have an attempted murder. We have a positive ID. We want Black Cloud for questioning. Black Cloud, get a lawyer. And we'll go in for questioning tomorrow. No deal. We think he's a risk for flight. We want him now. We want him confined, and we don't want him running around the rest. Question him now. Is that a lawyer? What do you want to know? Where's the bat you assaulted Eddie with? No bat. Just these. Griff, this sounds like a fight went wrong. This wasn't just a fight, bud. My nephew's laying in the hospital with a pierced lung, and he's fighting for his life. You crossed the line, son. Attempted murder follows you anywhere you go. Now get in the car. I ain't going nowhere. After the confrontation with McGraw, uh, Bud tries his best to kind of get to the bottom of what's going on. But before he even gets an opportunity to start prying, Black Cloud literally like fires him quicker than Mike Tyson did with Kevin Rooney. Uh, it seems that Black Cloud, you know, really wants all the power in the situation and he wants to play by his own rules. Uh, the self-destruct button is gently being tapped at this point. Um, trying to clear his head, Black Cloud makes his way over to Sammy's house. Instead of Sammy, however, he's met at the door by her father, you know, Branscombe Richmond, who um, asks for him to step outside. Uh, I, I can't speak for you, but I've, I've never, you know, ever had a good conversation with a girl's father who asked me to step outside. Well, uh, neither does Black Cloud, um, because remember creepy old Turpin uh, from the Indian Affairs housing? How could you possibly forget? Well, he filed he filed a complaint against Black Cloud for the assault on his neck, which I'm surprised given the fact, um, you know, you know the kind of woman Sammy is. I'm really kind of surprised that, um, you know, she didn't notify her dad of the transgression um, or even offer to him any kind of explanation of why Black Cloud did what he did. But anyway, between this incident and the Eddie Young beating, um, Sammy's dad asked Black Cloud that, you know, he tells him he needs to stay away from her. Um, And now the self-destruct mechanism is just being mashed. Um, because he leaves there, he, he starts driving back home when he stopped by a car full of buddies and loose women. And again, every female in this movie outside of Black Cloud's small circle, um, is portrayed as these, like some sexual nymph. And again, this is the biggest problem that I have with the movie. And it's to me, again, it's a serious problem. And it's one that I, I really hate, you know, hate to keep repeating myself on. But um, the driver um, offers Black Cloud a brew, and then the passenger, who is who is female, literally crawls over and offers him her body. Somebody give my beer. Give my beer, man. What are you guys up to? The question is, can you keep it up tonight? Damn, bitch, are you in heat? Yeah, so that happened. Uh, before you know it, Black Cloud's at like this house party, and he's regaling the crowd with these violent stories of boxing matches and broken noses. Uh, Sammy and Jimmy uh, somehow um, have heard that Black Cloud may be there, 
and they're kind of on the prowl for him. Um, Sammy finds her man in the corner, uh, just stereotypically drinking his pain away. Once again, he can't just uh, have a beer. He has to be, you know, this indulgent drunk. Um, of course, a confrontation follows, and she's going to try to talk some sense into him. Uh, then he declares that he's amongst his people, the mixed blood clan. Um, Sammy basically tells him he's an idiot, which he is being. <laughs> and he further proves her point by telling her that, you know, um, you, you don't want to be, be with anybody whose blood is poisoned or, or have mixed blood kids. Excuse me, but she has a, a quote-unquote mixed blood kid, uh, Black Cloud. But does Sammy talk about this or bring this up? No. She just sits there and just lets him run her down. Um, again, the fact that she has uh, a mixed child is, is never mentioned uh, in the script at all, and it, it makes zero sense. But enough is enough. She's out of there. Um, and just as she leaves, this woman sits on uh, Black Cloud's lap, uh, gives him a long kiss, and hands him uh, another beer. What are you doing here? What's it look like I'm doing? I'm having a good time. Yeah. Why didn't you call? Since when do I need your permission? What the hell is going on? What do you mean? I mean, since when do you hang out with these losers? This is my tribe. They're not losers. We're the mixed blood clan. It's my new family. Black Cloud, you're nothing at all like them. You're special. Why are you doing this? Because it's in my blood, Sammy. My blood is poison. There's nothing I can do about it. I don't care who your great-great-grandfather was. You don't want to be with the mixed blood. Or have mixed blood kids. Look what happened last time. Last time, I got Tyler. Do you see it bothering me? Don't you get it? This isn't going to work. We're not going to work, so get the hell out of here. Here's your bear, Black Cloud. Okay, so um, next we see Black Cloud. Um, he's like, you know, pounding and groveling uh, at the door of Bud's house. Um, Bud opens up and offers him, a, you know, a sympathetic ear. Uh, but from out of nowhere, Black Cloud kind of oddly tells him, you know, I've forgotten what my mom looked like or my mother looked like. And he asks Bud, you know, if he thought that she was pretty. And he immediately goes uh, to lay down on the couch to pass out. I am assuming that this um, is meant kind of as a way for the audience to have some sort of sympathy, sympathy for him. Um, despite what we've just seen, you know, him just ranting and raving like a lunatic. Um, but the way he asks, it kind of, you know, it's kind of uncomfortable. It reeks of like this uh, Oedipus complex. The next day, um, we see Eddie Young um, at Sammy's house, and I, 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 I can't figure out in this scene if he's being sincere in the moment um, or, or not, um, but he first kind of tells her that he's sorry um, you know, for his behavior and that he wants to do the right thing. Um, you know, he wants to do right by her and Tyler, 
the problem is though is he calls his son by the wrong by the wrong name well sammy slams that window shut pretty quick after that and she's like it's too late you're you're selfish um you know so uh you have eddie on the front steps with flowers um you know i'm sorry flowers getting told to piss off when black cloud conveniently drives up to misinterpret the state of affairs um, instead of seeing the situation for what it is, he automatically assumes that they're getting back together. So he speeds off, and he's super pissed off. And I have to also mention really quick that uh, Schroeder um, has, you know, just like a couple of uh, butterfly band-aids over his eye. Uh, what McGraw had said, you know, he's he's laying in the hospital with a pierced lung, fighting for his life. Obviously, that that was a lie. Thought you were dying. I am, without you, baby. Please go away. Hold on, Sammy. Now, I know I haven't treated you right, but I'm here to make it up to you. Eddie, too many things have changed. Can't a guy get a second chance? To make it right with his, his family? Hey, Taylor, buddy, I'm your daddy. What do you want, Eddie? So he kind of goes on a little bit to, you know, kind of say, well, you know, who, 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 who's better than me? You know, Black Cloud, um, what's he going to do to get you out of here? Um, you know, look at this place, Sammy, or it's, it's, uh, it's, it's hell or, or whatever. But it's like the second time in the movie where the reservation is referred to as some sort of like physical rut. Um, you know, the entire time they're on the res, though, uh, the audience is treated to these just sweeping, gorgeous landscapes with like these gently, you know, with gently blowing tall grass. There's rivers, there's mountains, there's like endless blue skies, there's majestic stallions. Um, you know, I mean, there, there's a, you know, a lot of smaller HUD style homes, you know, but the way it's depicted in the movie, it, it's hardly run down or in any kind of dilapidated state. Um, it's just like any neighborhood, you know, um, it doesn't look terrible. It doesn't look, you know, it, it, it looks like a native suburbia kind of, but anytime it's referenced by white characters in the movie, however, it's spoken of as if it's like some kind of, you know, emotional or, or physical, uh, gate of hell or something. Um, you know, Tim McGraw did the same thing, you know, when he was talking to Bud, remember, um, you know, it's like, well, what brings you out here, Sheriff? And, you know, he just like replies, well, I'd be lying if I said if it was the scenery, um, you know, but given every shot of scenery in the movie, you know, this little really makes McGraw look like a shitheel for uttering such poppycock. Uh, the reservation depicted in this movie is far, you know, from some sort of like pockmarked, washed up post-apocalyptic wasteland that you typically see in movies, um, you know, because it was filmed on the real reservation. Um, you know, not all reservations are like that. Um, you know, I don't know, maybe it's just me nitpicking too much, you know, and I'd hate to ruin, you know, any kind of, you know, stahutki fun, but you know, the res can be an actually, you know, can actually be a wonderful place, um, full of life and culture and characters. And I'd like to kind of see more of that in, in, in cinema, but still fuming over Eddie, um, seeing Eddie and Sammy together, black cloud, you know, he speeds back home and he's pulled over by Tim McGraw. Uh, the scene that follows uh, kind of you know left me scratching my head a little, a little bit. Well, well, a lot actually. Um, you have Black Cloud in complete self-destruct mode at this point. 
I mean, he's he's still, you know, buzzed up. He's still, you know, probably half drunk. And he steps out of the car just lashing out at Tim McGraw, uh, completely feeding into the whole cowboy versus Indian trope. Um, you know, the only kind of uh, substance I could pull out of these five minutes, um, other than that, you know, the moment here is kind of pointless. It's one of those scenes, I think, that probably looked better on paper or sounded better um, in the script. Um, or maybe there's pieces of dialogue completely cut out. I, I have no idea what's going on here. But Black Cloud, he like climbs out of the truck and immediately asks Tim McGraw, like, what are you going to do? Beat the piss out of me? I, like, I want you to. Like, oh, please, you know, crack my head open. Um, his head's back. His arms are outstretched as if... You know, um, Schroeder told him, you know, the director, hey, do that, you know, John Dunbar dances with wolf thing on the horse, like, you know, throw your head back and your arms out, you know, Christ-like. But um, Black Cloud, you know, uh, kind of goads him further by saying, do what you're supposed to do, you know, in the movies. He tells him, you know, he's, he's uh, Black Cloud references watching John Wayne movies as a kid and, and cheering him on until he realized that the people that John Wayne were killing were Indians, um, to which Tim McGraw replies, and that's the day you started hating the white man, huh? Like it's this big revelation, but um, <laughs> McGraw, master of conclusions, uh, yeah, you get that. Uh, so you think that though that Black Cloud, you know, next is going to get some kind of lesson, um, you know, uh, saying, you know, like not all white people are bad or or maybe Tim McGraw is going to tell him some kind of reverse racism story, drawing parallels to each other. But nothing at all like that happens. Um, this scene happens basically so he can tell Black Cloud, go home. That's the second time that, you know, you have this long drawn out scene with no conclusion the character just tells Black Cloud to go home. Um, I guess maybe he showed sympathy by this action or something like that. I'm just kind of having a hard time figuring it out. I mean, um, not to mention Black Cloud's drunk. Uh, what you know, McGraw sends him back in his car and tells him to go home. You know, what 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 happens on the way home if he has an accident or, or killed somebody? Um, you know, who who would be at fault at that? Come on. So you like John Wayne movies? So do I. Remember watching John Wayne and his boys take out the engines by the hundreds? Making it safe for all the wagon trains? Things were a lot simpler then, weren't they? Yeah. So one day I'm sitting in front of the TV shooting down engines with the Duke. And I stopped because I realized I was one of them. That's the day you started hating the white man. Day I became ashamed. Son, we're all dealt different hands in life. Sooner you learn to play, you stop bluffing. Quicker you'll find your place. Are you gonna beat me or not? Come on, pussy, where are you going? I'm here, come on! Where are you going? Go home, Black Cloud. With no wise words to ponder or any kind of moment to reflect uh, on, we find Black Cloud, who seemingly turned into like this raging drunk overnight. He's on the couch at his dad's home, 
and his father is once again uh, drunkenly dancing and singing with uh, just some random white woman. And, you know, I really wish um, they'd give Tim Sampson more to do um, here because, trust me when I say, um, you know, he, he does make the most of every scene that he's in. But they really just kind of used him as filler. Uh, they really could have put anybody in this role that they could have pulled it off. But you have Tim freaking Sampson here. Uh, give him an opportunity to shine. Give him something to do. Uh, he's he's much more of an accomplished actor than, than what's shown here. Um, I, I, I say that because if you ever get a chance to check out the movie War Party, do that because he's phenomenal in that. But um, Black Cloud, like I said, he's sitting on the couch. He's practically begging for a conversation about his mom. Um, and Samson does his best to like dodge every question that's thrown his way. I mean, the man um, you know, who's supposed to be there for his son would rather talk about the karaoke machine that he got to replace the stereo that Black Cloud broke. Um, he'd rather talk about that than you know, his, um, his dead wife. You know, and, and I feel as much empathy here for Samson, you know, you know, his spirit and heart have also been broken by the passing of his wife. And, you know, he spent the last decade alone, um, numbing his pain, you know, just kind of floundering through life, looking for anything to fill the void. Um, you know, and sadly, uh, you know, Black Cloud just sort of got lost in, in that and in, in, in his uh, sorrow. Uh, but we never learn, you know, what actually happened to, to the mom. We just know that she's dead. So, again, here's here's another missed opportunity for uh, more character development in this film uh, because, you know, that's something that it sorely lacks. Don't know what it is about the little guy. I love it. I like it. I love it. I want some more of it. Hey, Black Cloud. Yo, you want some on the couch all night? Come on, man, give it for us out. Sing us a tune, man. I'm fine right here. You have fun. Yeah. <laughs> An undisclosed time um, later, we see Black Cloud um, after that scene. He, he's training with Bud. So some, somewhere along the lines they've made up. Uh, they're sparring, and Bud is, is really taking it to him. Um, in fact, he actually drops Black Cloud a few times to his knees, um, you know, He's just literally trying to get a rise out of him. Come on. You're dropping your ass. I can land those all day. So you're mixed blood, huh? Big deal. We're all mixed up some way. Shut up. You and Sammy split up, huh? Where'd you hear that? It's written all over your face. It's better off without me. First smart thing I heard you say. Why is that? First sign of trouble and you run. It's best now she knows what kind of man you are. I said shut your mouth. Shut it for me. Yeah, so he's like taking a cue from Emperor Palpatine here. Um, you know, Bud tries to kind of tap into Black Cloud's anger. He's taunting him. He's calling him a mixed blood. He's calling him the son of a drunk. I mean, just unforgivingly, like, ribbing him, and Black Cloud's boiling, and he just starts wailing on, on Bud, uh, like, relentlessly wailing on him, um, you know, it's like all rules and form have been thrown out the window, it's like this 
uh, maniacal uh, uh, flip or switch has been flipped. It's basically like a street fight with gloves at this point, and and Bud basically does the only thing that he can do. He just kind of taunts, keeps taunting him and covering uh, covering up, and and uh, he's letting Black Cloud just kind of punch himself into exhaustion. Um, in this moment, um, you know, in the moment as Black Cloud kind of submits to that uh, exhaustion. Bud kind of wraps him up and kind of ties him up um, a lot. Like it reminded me of the way that Robin Williams did to Matt Damon in Goodwill Hunting. And he just kind of starts hugging him and he kind of starts telling him like, it's not your fault. It's not your fault. You know, we're going to get through this together. Um, you know, it's, it's an emotionally, uh, physically, you know, well, you know, Black Cloud, he basically just kind of collapse, collapses into him. And he just starts weeping. And like I said, it's, it's a pretty touching moment. And it's one that I thought they did really well. But now that the baggage has been somewhat unloaded, it's time to get a better understanding on just who this white wolf is exactly. And the only person with those answers is obviously Grandpa. So Black Cloud jogs back out to Saginaw Grant's house. Um, why he didn't get those answers the first time, I'm not sure. Uh, the scene just cut out. But Grandpa has, uh, of course, been waiting on him. And the two exchange a few words. Um, and then Black Cloud kind of blames every terrible thing on, in his life on his white heritage, uh, even though he literally just found out about it. Um, so not going to listen to that babble. You know, Grandpa tells him, hey, let's take a walk. And then cue sweat lodge scene. So the two um, are sitting and they're sweating. They're sweating it out. And Grandpa... Uh, sort of gives him an explanation of what's about to happen. Um, first, they drink some tea, and they kind of begin to sing a little bit softly. And as Grandpa sings, um, as if on, on cue, Black Cloud is quickly transported into the spirit world of the past. Um, first, he sees himself as a child dancing, and his mom smiling, and his father smiling, and they're, they're together, and they're watching, and they're just proud of their son. And then um, it kind of fades into this scene of a young native woman gathering wildflowers. And then we get the voiceover narration from Grandpa. In the last days, a girl named Nanaba took a pony to a special place where she would pick flowers for her wedding dress. Three white men came upon her. Nanaba was found wandering with her head full of demons by a white hunter. He became White Wolf, your great-great-grandfather. He brought great honor to our people. We accepted him as our own. Did you meet White Wolf? Rest. I will be waiting on the other side. 
Yeah, those words are going to sadly ring true um, because the next morning, Black Cloud is unable to rouse Grandpa. Uh, but anyway, during that voiceover, what we see is like this steely, blue-eyed, Christ-like figure um, gently kind of look into the camera and he smiles and he nods. Um, you know, maybe not quite as obvious as it should be, but all the angst boiling within Black Cloud stems from the historical treatment of native people at the hands of European settlers. I mean, um, over that clip, which you couldn't hear or could, you couldn't see, excuse me, is um, like it's a, it's a gang rape, basically, of this native woman. Um, so is that what's kind of got him upset um, or is it the loss of his mother? Um, is it the subsequent neglect, you know, that caused it? I mean, is it both? Um, anyway, it's just kind of like, where is, you know, wh why is Black Cloud so, you know, angst angsty? Um, but anyway, it's, it's also white savior time because, um, yeah, like I said, the, the uh, white wolf character um, basically saved the people. Uh, it's not really explained how or, or why. Um, but anyway, it is what it is. So, uh, like I said, the, that clip ends with Grandpa, you know, saying, I'll see you on the other side. And those words are, are, are sadly true because, um, like I said, uh, Grandpa heartbreakingly dies um, outside the sweat lodge. And true to custom, um, surprisingly true to custom, Black Cloud buries his grandfather in the traditional Navajo way. And um, I'm not going to go into details on that. Um, I just want, if you want to watch that scene, it's, you know, it's, it's an accurate depiction of a Navajo, traditional Navajo burial. But as he's kind of placing the final stone in place, a wisp of dust gently blows off the top and Black Cloud turns to see the galloping wild stallions kind of trudging by. And he sort of has this spiritual reawakening within himself. Um, he thanks the horses and he kind of continues the, the cleansing ceremony. So after he has done all of that, um, the first stop on his path of redemption is talking to Sammy. So he rides up with his tail um, tucked firmly between his legs because uh, he knows he's been wrong, he's been he's being an idiot, and that he's going to kind of own up to it. And he certainly has a lot of explaining to do. Um, his insanity um, it was on par with we know with Hayden Christensen's in Attack of the Clones. Um, but anyway, um, he's at Sammy's house, and with the disapproving father in the background looking on, he says this: uh, "Cue unabashed groveling." I'm sorry. I've done nothing to dishonor us. I have nothing to be ashamed of. My blood is good. Is this how it's going to be? My heart can't take it. I'm sorry. I'll never leave again. Better not. I will love you forever. <laughs> I love you. I love you more. <laughs> I know I don't have much. But whatever I have, I will give to you. 
What are you doing? I know you could do better. But I promise you, you'll never regret giving me a chance. Are you sure? Will you marry me? Boom. Just like that, they are engaged. Um, so uh, the point in that clip where you hear him say, like, he doesn't have much, that's when he removes his mother's wedding ring um, from around his neck and he gives it to her. Uh, Spears and, and Jones are, are really good in this scene, and I, I found myself smiling along with them. Um, you know, it's, it's good to see two characters that you're rooting for finally make a good decision. I did think it was a little bit funny, though, um, when he says, I've done nothing to dishonor us. I'm like, uh, yeah, buddy, you did. You did a lot. You uh, basically cheated on Sammy. But anyway, now that he's got his woman back, it's it's time to take back his pride. And by that, I mean fighting. Um, the scene um, immediately kicks off um, with a phone call from good old Norm Olson, uh, the Olympic boxing scout, in case you have uh, forgotten about him. Hello. Hey, Bud's normal. You still coming? Yeah. We'll be pulling in around 8 o'clock. Great. Just make sure he's in shape because he's going to be facing one tough kid. I hope he shows up because my guy is ready to be seen. Okay. Hey, he's never done this before, right? Uh-huh. Okay, you sure he's up to it? This one's different. He doesn't fight for attention. He fights because he needs to. Right there. That's the training montage. That's where the Rob Tappert or Stan Bush or John Parr or uh, Jamie Jameson type inspirational rock song uh, should have kicked in. Uh, what we needed here was was a, was a song about how everything is burning, you know, like hearts and, and desires. We needed a song about, you know, reaching your potential or, or walking on the edges of stuff like razors or, or the sky or, or soaring with eagles and chasing our dreams. Hell, hell, give us a, a Northern Cree or a, a Blackfire or a 1876 tribe called Red, uh, Stinjati, something. Give us something that we can get us pumped up. But here we get the phoned-in Tim McGraw B-side that didn't make the cut to any album that he put out. Uh, oof, it's kind of a letdown because that's that really needed like that, you know, uh, burning heart or or uh, hearts on fire or, or something like that. But needless to say, um, it's still a solid montage sequence, and you get Black Cloud. He's sparring. He's hitting sit-ups. He's hammering the heavy bag. He's pounding the double ends, working the speed bag, jogging. And, of course, the old uh, training montage standby, he's skipping rope. Uh, but now that the legwork is done, um, it's time for one last hurrah before the big send-off. Uh, before we celebrate all the hard work, um, our little family um, sits down to a good home-cooked meal. Um, it's here where things once again kind of veer off into like some clumsy dialogue that they're just trying to plug in holes um, it's kind of too late in the movie to do that, but uh, between the usual, you know, make sure you bring my fiance home in one piece service, you know, from Sammy, um, seemingly out of nowhere, we learn that Bud and his wife um, had a child that died, 
And again, I understand having this in the context of the film, you know, because Black Cloud obviously has become the son that Bud lost, but just kind of the way the information is presented is very awkward and, um, you know, it's just sort of casually dropped into conversation and there's no kind of segue or anything for it. So one minute, you know, like they're talking about Vegas and the next we're having like this poignant discussion about lost children, um, you know, it, harking back on, you know, just my love of boxing and, and the stories behind it, um, you know, ever since that, that the touching story of Mike Tyson and Custom Auto, you know, every boxing movie has this type of element in it um you know thankfully though uh the uncomfortable moment is broken up by the com the comedic relief of jimmy he comes in and he introduces everyone to his new gal pal and you know he tells him hey we're off to shoot some pool now i'm no party pooper here um but for someone someone who just found redemption and is on the eve of a major fight is, is it is it ever a good idea to go to a bar um, I mean, didn't we just see Black Cloud struggling with, with alcohol? Um, so with that being said, they're going to the bar, and you know that that's going to set something up um, to test him. So the evening's going pretty keen. They're all out shooting pool and casually drinking Cokes. And, uh, yeah, they're, they're literally drinking old-school Coke you know, glass Coke bottles, um, because you can't show native characters just casually drinking. I'm having a good time. I'm slow dancing the night away. Um, anyway, um, black cloud and Sammy, you know, they're, they're sitting together at a table and they're dreaming about their future. Uh, and you know, you're just like, dude, just go home, just go home. Um, the slow song ends and black cloud excuses himself to the bathroom. And at this point you're yelling at him, Dude, go home. You have a nice bathroom there. Get out of the barge, Bond. Get out of there. Um, he ignores my pleas, though, and Black Cloud hits the can. Uh, he's just waiting. Uh, you know, you, you know something's going to happen, and that that's exactly uh, what what's going getting ready to go down. Because just behind the bathroom door, waiting patiently, is Eddie Young. Which begs the question, um, what was he just doing hanging out in the bathroom? Um, you know, how long was he in there? Uh, you know, and how did he know Black Cloud was going to be there? Uh, was he just kind of in there all night, pacing back and forth, just waiting for Black, Black Cloud to take a leak? Um, I don't know. It was kind of weird that, you know, Eddie's hiding behind the door um, without no, you know... <laughs> preference for you know uh, precedent for uh, black cloud even being at that bar but anyway um he's hiding behind the bathroom stall door and um we get this exchange well i gotta give it to you you kicked the crap out of me you're at the hospital that's good it's not good for you eddie look i'm sorry for what i did to you but i didn't know the things i know now when we're done with you, you won't know nothing. Well, what do you know, boys? Caught us an Indian. Is that him? Yeah, that's the one. Hey there, Red Man. Okay, so what happens next is um, one of the worst bathroom beatdowns ever captured on screen. Um, Eddie and his goon squad are just pelting Black Cloud with beer bottles they're like stomping his guts they're shoving his head in the toilet they're kicking him they're punching him i mean they are putting the boots to him 
And um, after being gone for like this undisclosed amount of time, Sammy starts to get a little suspicious. Uh, she goes and gets Jimmy and tells him to go check on him. And Jimmy goes into the bathroom in full force. He's got a pull cue. Um, you know, as the goons are literally, literally trying to drown Black Cloud in the toilet. Um, I don't know if it's intentional or not, but the country song that's playing over this entire scene really kind of adds more insult to, to the injury. It's like this inspiring anthem about rednecks and blue collars. Um, you know, they really know their fan base, the, the country music of today. Anyway, um, but Jimmy starts, you know, teeing off on the good old boys, you know, just one by one. And they flee the scene and they leave Jimmy to retrieve a lifeless black cloud who's like face down in the toilet. And just when you, you think the moment is over and it's kind of safe enough to breathe that, that um, uh, Jimmy has saved the day, um, Eddie comes back in unexpectedly. And I kid you not, he stabs Jimmy in the neck with a broken beer bottle. Uh, I was like shocked and my mouth was like, wait, what, what? Because blood starts squirting all over the stall. It's, it's this really intense scene that you don't really expect. But it's a good thing that um, Sheriff Blue Balls McGraw is on the case because um, he shows up and he just chalks it up to boys being boys, you know, despite his nephew shoving a beer bottle in another man's throat. Um, you know, that, that's, that's attempted murder, not just a, a beat down in a truck. But even with the countless witnesses to the carnage, the good old boy system always evens up the score because um, he literally walks away before wishing Black Cloud good luck in Vegas. He shoved a bottle in Jimmy's throat. Same Jimmy that's been beating on people with pool cues. They were going to kill Black Cloud if he didn't. Boys were just giving a little payback. Got a little carried away. The way I see it, it's just, a, just an unfortunate accident fight going wrong. Isn't that what Bud called the last one? Those cowboys are going home tonight. It's funny the way justice works, isn't it? They don't care who pays. As long as the scales are evened up. They're not even. They never will be. You're right. Guess it means we'll be seeing each other again. Ooh, sequel? You think? I don't know. But anyway, the movie shifts to Vegas. Um, we don't know what happened with Jimmy or Eddie, and spoilers, we never do. Uh, we don't see or hear about these characters for the rest of the movie. Uh, did Jimmy survive the brutal assault? Uh, don't know. Does Eddie get his comeuppance? I guess, they again, they're saving that for the sequel. Um, it's no issue, uh, because we've got Rocket fussing about endorsement deals um, in Vegas, and he's going to have to... He says, you know, hey, I have all these these endorsement deals. If I stay amateur, I'm going to have to give all of that up. Well, Norma's at the table, and he's trying to talk, um, talk him into going to the Olympics, you know, promising a bigger payday if he just brings home a gold medal. Rocket, like, aggressively states, you know, you know, this is my last amateur tournament and that I'm going to go pro after this. You know, my kids can't eat gold medals after all. He's very uh, – a, a very – big braggart for for an amateur fighter but um the meeting is unwittingly broken up by bud and black cloud as they walk into just this open room and there's sort of this um face-off between rocket and black cloud um and that occurs after he feels like um they disrespected them somehow uh 
of course, there has to be some kind of dispute between the two because there's not much at stake here other than Black Cloud, you know, beating Rocket's cousin. There's no reason for uh, for uh, Rocket to, to behave this way um, because all that Bud and Black Cloud did was just walk past and suddenly Rocket just jumps to his feet and is in Black Cloud's face. Um, Norm's offer to Rocket, though, now is off the table and handed to Black Cloud. Um, you know, I guess Norm's finally sick of his shit and he's like, hey, you know, bottom line black cloud win this tourney and you are going to go to the to the olympics so now we have the stakes and why the fight is so important to black cloud so we get the montage of weigh-ins and backstage preparations you know there's like taping fists there's ring physicians there's shadow boxing um and it's all kind of peppered with the occasional fight sequence Um, Like the rodeo um, at the beginning of the movie, it appears this was actually filmed at a real amateur boxing tournament, Um, you know, kind of based on what I saw, because you've got judges, you've got a a really decent crowd, Um, there's just lots of common activity near the ring and and the auditorium. Uh, We quickly see Black Cloud, he's kind of unceremoniously knocking out his first opponent, and he advances to the next round. And I kind of wish we would have spent a little more time here um, because remember like the All-Valley Tournament sequence that set up the third act and the Karate Kid? Um, you know, it's like the opening bout between Danielson and, and like some unknown fighter. And he like lands a couple of points before you're the best around, kicks in and we're off. Like little touches like that really help um, the character with his arc, the, uh, his arc in the movie. Because we know Daniel, who's trained hard and is still a little nervy. But, um, you know, slowly as the song builds and as, as the, you know, tournament, you know, progresses his he's his confidence slowly builds um throughout the montage you know we see him advancing and he's gaining strength and each time he scores a point and we're actually rooting for him to succeed but here we just have to get to the end of the movie there's no tension at all um we already know that he and rocket are going to face off in the end but there's like no nothing really emotional for the viewer to hang on to um, like I said, it's just like we, we got to get to the end of this movie um, because correct me if I'm wrong. It's a boxing movie. So show us boxing, please, please show us some boxing. But um, these these shots, like I said, are, are intercut with Rocket and he's kind of working his way up the ranks as well. And there's like this odd moment in the middle where they're like at this press conference or something. And there's like reporters and they're grilling Black Cloud about the Navajo Nation. And it's kind of funny to me because these reporters are acting like they've never heard the word Navajo. Um, reservation. What's a reservation? Um, or even the word Indian before. Um, it, it's pretty comical. But, of course, it ends, you know, like in a, in a toe-to-toe, face-to-face standoff. Uh, again, this is like the third or fourth one um, in the next, like, past three minutes. <laughs> I'm from the Navajo Nation. And what's the Navajo Nation? Uh, it's our homeland. Uh, but where do you get his name? In the summertime when those thunderstorms roll in, black clouds. You better duck. <laughs> uh, you like to throw a uh, double hook uppercut combination. Where'd you learn this? Jack Dempsey? No. Yeah. I fought a big cowboy on the res. 
something worked on him. <laughs> ain't you funny? But I ain't no cowboy. I'm a nigga from the hood. You ain't never seen someone like me. I guess we'll see about that tomorrow, huh? Tomorrow you're gonna be running till I catch you and you be crying for your mama while I'm hurting you. Hey, Rocket, when are you gonna take him out? When am I gonna take him out? After you begged me for more, oh, yeah. then I'll take him out. Blackfly, Black what do you got to say about that? A big mouth is a sign of fear and ignorance. I'll take you on right now, Tonto. You, the Lone Ranger, still the old goddamn Let's go, calm down. You ain't shit. Let's go, You ain't my same lead, dude. I got something real for your ass and knees, well, okay then. Yeah, uh, that escalated quickly. The next morning um, finds us in the locker room um, getting ready for the big fight. Um, Bud's asking, you know, Black Cloud, you know, how he's feeling. And he reaches back and pulls out the robe that he wore when he fought in the army. Um, you know, I wish it was like beaded up or something. Um, but it's just, or, or even tattered or, or something. It's just like a regular blue satin robe. Um, you know, it's like this carpenter's cup, I guess. And he offers it to Black Cloud, who graciously accepts. Um, and then they begin making their way to the ring, and you get these low camera angles, and it really gives this scene a lot of depth. Um, we're in the ring now, and the referee is giving instructions to the fighters. And there's the usual smack talk, um, you know, before the bell sounds. Uh, Rocket, you know, comes out swinging. He's like throwing these big haymakers. He's looking for the early knockout. Um, and there's not a lot of boxing, you know, real true boxing going on here. It's just like a lot of slugging, you know, being traded back and forth. It's a pretty exciting exchange, though, between the two. And then the bell sounds. And you go over into Black Cloud's corner, and, and Bud's giving his sound advice, you know, about like, you got to duck that overhand right, and you got to go low. Um, you know, and then over in Rocket's corner, it's just all, you know, trash talking Black Cloud. He's obviously, you know, not taking the fight very serious. But, uh, you know, the bell sounds for round two, and right away, Rocket gets Black Cloud in trouble. Um, he lands like this big uppercut that sends him reeling backwards. And, you know, now he's on um, Queer Street, and he's just, uh, you know, kind of wobbling around. But just when you think Black Cloud's going to go uh, go down, he starts to rally back. Um, he's weathering the storm once again. Uh, he starts fighting back, and eventually he starts landing some big shots of his own. Um, but then he, like this overhand right um, just comes out of nowhere by Rocket, and it puts Black Cloud face down on the mat, just um, you know, just you know, slamming the brakes on on his little rally. Uh, Black Cloud struggles uh, to make it to his feet by the count of eight, and he's trying to shake the cobwebs out. He's trying to clear his head, and at this point, all he can do is kind of cover up and hope he survives the round. Rocket um, starts teeing off on him, and uh, he starts landing punches and bunches. You know, they're just coming from all directions. There's left, there's right. He's like taunting him, he's jabbing him, he gets him into the corner. And the second round ends with just Rocket pummeling Black Cloud, pummeling Black Cloud, and all of those shots basically go unanswered. So Black Cloud can barely make it back to the corner at this point. And Bud sits him down. He's trying his best to, you know, shake the cop, you know, shake Black Cloud's cobwebs out. You know, he's telling him to breathe. He's telling him, you know, like get control, uh, you know, deep breaths, get some gas, get some gas. Um, he tells him, you know, this is the third round. You know, this is it. If you're going to do something now, it's the time to do it. 
uh, Black Cloud makes eye contact with the distraught Sammy, who sort of materializes out of nowhere because we haven't seen her since the bar scene. And we didn't even know she was in Vegas until this scene because there's no you know mention of her or anything. But he kind of looks over to her and he gives a nod of assurance. It, it kind of reminded me of, of Apollo in Rocky Four, right before he goes out to get slaughtered by Drago. Um, you know, he, we all know what happened there. He, you know, he kind of looks at her and he kind of, you know, he, let's do this. You know, I'm going to, we're going to be okay. But anyway, um, the fight, uh, or excuse me, the bell sounds now for like round three and the fight continues. Black Cloud is like really struggling to stay on his feet at this point. But then something happens in a tale old as time. Rocket starts to gas. That's right. Seems he wore himself out, punching the crap out of Black Cloud. Um, so with like a solid, sh- with like a, this single solid shot to Rocket's body, the door kind of begins to open for Black Cloud, and he kind of slowly starts to take control. He starts getting the upper hand. He's like landing left hooks. He's landing body shots. And then with this sudden comeback, um, the crowd kind of starts to turn and they start to, uh, you know, start chanting and cheering for Black Cloud. Um, Then we hear the the familiar uh, lion snarl and we all know that this is going to end like some sort of Mortal Kombat fatality. Um, but in a last-ditch effort to hang in there, Rocket gla- uh, grabs Black Cloud from, uh, you know, by the neck, and he kind of starts to tie him up. And with his back to the ref, he starts holding and hitting Black Cloud, like right in the guts, the old rabbit punch. And then on the break, um, as the referee steps in to break him up, um, uh, Rocket lands this vicious uppercut that just puts Black Cloud flat on his back. Um, he only knocked Black Cloud out. He knocked all the sound out of the film as well because it just goes completely silent. Uh, silent. And then you know Black Cloud uh, is just like laying on the on the on the mat. You know on his back. Blackness um, surrounds the the beaten fighter, and um, we see you know Black Cloud uh, cross-eyed, uh, literally cross-eyed, and the referee's kind of standing over him and he's counting. Um, and, the, and the camera zooms backwards, and then suddenly, uh, Black Cloud is standing like in this open field of tall grass, and he sees a figure kind of slowly walking towards him, and then we get this. Hi, baby. Mama. You're so beautiful, Mama. Just like I remember. My time with you was short. I was needed here. I need you. I know, baby. You're on the right path, son. You'll find the way. If darkness surrounds you, ask your father in the sky, and the way will be shown. I'm scared. I'm alone. You're never alone. Can I stay here with you? Is it nice here? It's paradise. It's hard back there. I know, baby. You have much to accomplish. No, I'm with you always. Now, go back. 
fulfill your destiny. Can I see you again? Anytime you need. Go, Black Cloud. Okay, uh, two quick things here really quick. Um, did Rocket literally knock him into the spirit world? Or did he actually for a moment kill him? Um, it's got to be one of those two, right? I mean, she tells him that her time on Earth was short because she was needed. And it doesn't really go into more explanation than that. And then Black Cloud asks her, you know, do I have, do I have to go back? And, you know, she tells him that it's paradise where she is, but that he can't stay there. And um, I was surprised, though, to see um, Skoden veteran Jonelle Romero here. Uh, she, the last time we talked about her was on Pow Wow Highway. Um, and she's a terrific actress, and it was awesome to see her here. Um, but then we cut back quickly to the fight. So I can only assume that he literally died um, it's another strange little scene. Um, but anyway, his spirit returns to his body, and with this newfound fire, Black Cloud like is now untouchable. And once again, he's got the Hulk Hogan comeback. He's dodging everything. He's landed punches from all directions. Um, I, I think I even saw him hit him with a suit bone once. Um, but then there's like one final right hook that sends Rocket to the mat. And he just like collapses like a sack of potatoes. Uh, the crowd rushes to the ring um, right after that. Um, they don't even get the 10 count. Um, the, the crowd rushes into the ring to celebrate. And Bud lifts Black Cloud towards the heavens um, in a freeze frame that kind of crossfades to a silhouetted Black Cloud, you know, sitting on a horse. And we're left with about a thousand questions as, as Pat Green sings us home. And it's not even cool, Pat Green. It's not even George's Bar or Here We Go, Pat Green. It's like a hippie, puka shell wearing, barefoot Pat Green. But anyway, um, the ending here feels very tacked on and, and way short. And we're robbed for any kind of epilogue for the characters. Uh, Sammy to the ring? No, we don't see Sammy again, actually, except that one little scene where he looks at her. Um, so there's no Sammy coming to the ring with Tyler. There's no embrace. There's no, you know, rocket in the corner contemplating his future. There's no, like, exacerbated Jimmy rooting from a hospital bed. There's no, you know, Norm on the, you know, Norm on the phones with the Olympic Committee telling him to get ready. Uh, there's no, you know, Eddie Young, you know, listening to the fight on the radio alone on some, you know, highway stretch of highway or stretch of highway or, or anything, you know, disgusted at Black Cloud success. There's no Tim McGraw like ice in his nuts. Uh, there's nothing. It just ends. And we get like this still shot of Black Cloud on a horse. And um, to me, that's just very, very lame. So uh, that's basically it. That's Black Cloud 2004. I appreciate you guys letting me mansplain the hell out of this. Um, as far as cigar store groaners go, um, you know, those those illustrative uh, illustrative. Uh, stereotypical tropes uh, you commonly see in movies and television programs uh, that feature indigenous characters, themes, or storylines. Again, I call them groaners because each time I see one on screen being played out, 
um, they occasionally cause me to, to groan out loud, or at least, you know, at this point, snicker with expectancy. Um, you probably have your own, I'm sure you do, but here's my top 10 list of commonly seen groaners in native films, and this is uh, Black Cloud. Uh, number one, a drunk Indian. Oh yeah, a lot. Um, and I might need to take my boots off to count because Black Cloud, you got Black Cloud drunk, his father's drunk, there's numerous gals and guys at parties, and, and they're drunk. And again, anytime drinking is featured in this movie uh, with natives, it's always shown as abuse. Um, you know, natives drink until they're drunk. Uh, there's no casual drinking for these Indians. Whites? Yep, absolutely. Uh, according to Schroeder in this movie, those characters all drink responsibly. Um, does the lead character have a white best friend or girlfriend? No. Jimmy is Black Cloud's best friend, and he's uh, clearly Navajo. And in fact, just about all the white people in this movie are the antagonists, um, with the exception of Norm. He's kind of um, the, I don't want to say the savior, but you know he's not a bad guy. Uh, is there a medicine man or shaman? Bonus points if the lead character goes on a spiritual journey. No, there's no shaman in the movie, but Black Cloud does spend a lot of time in the spirit world, which again, giving my understanding of Navajo people that I know personally, um, I, I feel this is kind of very egregious. Um, Navajo people uh, are typically known for their, ta their taboos, you know, surrounding contacting the dead. Usually, and, and again, this is what I was told by a native girl that I dated, uh, or a Navajo girl, excuse me, that I dated um, for a while, that the family won't even mention the name of the deceased person uh, for at least four years or so um, after he or she has passed. And, um, you know, there are as, as few people as possible, you know, at the burial, uh, you know, to order, uh, in order to kind of limit contamination um, or uh, of the spirit or the disembodied spirit that's uh, capable of evil um, that's released upon death. So um, given this belief, which as I understand um, are still believed by a pretty good percentage of Dene people today, uh, the last thing I think they would want to do is cross over into the spirit world and talk to a deceased relative. So uh, that's number three, medicine man or shaman or, or spiritual journey. Uh, number four is the antagonist white um, or bonus points or, or he if she turns out to actually be the hero. Yes, I say every person, white person in the movie uh, from Turpin to Eddie Young to Tim McGraw, uh, you know, they're the antagonist. Is there a native you know, turncoat or sellout? Nope. Um, is there a bar fight? Absolutely. And a horrific one at that. Um, and we'll never know if Jimmy survived the throat gouge suffered at the hands of Eddie Young because the last time we saw him, um, he had lost a, a tremendous amount of blood in the bathroom there. Um, is there a mention of peyote or hallucinogenic drugs? Kind of. Um, after returning from the spirit world, um, Black Cloud asked Grandpa, you know, like, what was in that tea? Uh, number eight, did any characters use racial names or get called anything inappropriate? Yes, and I'm not even going to go into it um, because I, I made mention earlier I'm not going to be saying those things anymore. Um, does a character receive an Indian name in the movie? No. And is there a mention of a scalping? No. And then I added on, I tacked on two bonus groans. Um, number 11, um, was there an eagle screech in the movie? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Within minutes of the movie opening and, and the ending. 
so kind of like bookmarked, uh, book bookend, excuse me, uh, an eagle screech bookends the movie, so to speak. Um, were any of the female characters the subject of any type of abuse, be it verbal, physical, or sexual? Yes. And again, almost all the female characters besides Sammy and Bud's wife, um, and of course, uh, 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 Black Cloud's mom, um, are portrayed as these over-sexualized nymphs. And we hear uh, Eddie Young completely dog out Sammy at least three times. All the female party goers um, are at the party looking for snags. You know, not that that's a bad thing, but um, you know, it's just the way that they they are portrayed as they have no uh, character other than that. That's their only character trait. Um, all of the women at Tim Sampson's house. You know, I could go on and on. It's just kind of gross. But hey, la six groans. Come on, Schroeder. I expect those shenanigans from Tim McGraw, but you know, never, never from a supporter of the former law and order uh president donald trump oh wait yeah this was a first time watch for me and i actually really enjoyed it um i mean there's not uh many perfect um movies out there no matter what genre we're talking about this is you know really no exception um it's a fairly predictable story and but it's filled with a few gems um eddie spears um he is just he's a stud this he's just wonderful um he really gave it his all bringing the character to life and um you know while a few of the drunken scenes are probably not as convincing as they could have been i, I really feel he did a, a really solid job uh bringing all he had to the character of black cloud the fighting sequences and anytime he shares the screen with julia jones he's just awesome and uh, I did like Julia Jones in this, but I wish she was, you know, given a little bit more to do to just kind of sit there and look pretty. Um, I, again, I think it was a sorely missed opportunity with her character. Uh, full disclosure, uh, she doesn't really have anything to do in this movie. Um, she tries to rally Black Cloud when he's at his lowest, but really it's Grandpa that gets him out of the rut. Um, I think, uh, you know, the more I think about it, actually, I wish her character was better fleshed out. I mean, she's no Adrian Balboa, I tell you. Um, the DP work here is pretty average. Uh, Steve Gaynor shot the flick. He's done mostly music videos, and he did a, a, a late film um, for, for uh, cult director John Waters. Um, surprisingly, though, I was kind of shocked to learn that um, Gaines did a few X-rated features in short, um, which I can only assume landed him this gig. Uh, you know, he brought his prior skills and experiences of shooting canyons from the hardcore scene to to the big screen, I guess, but. Um, the man certainly knows how to capture landscapes. He did a great job there. Um, to be able to commit, you know, the vastness of the valley is it's a pretty remarkable feat. And he did a good job. So the cast is solid. Um, Russell Meads is great. Um, I, I got it. You know, Tim McGraw makes a good bad guy. Um, the story's pretty good. You know, like I said, it definitely, definitely kept me entertained for 90 minutes. So the movie's black cloud um check it out and that's just about gonna wrap it up for this uh for this episode so i want to say uh Mado, everybody uh, thanks for listening um it's good to be back uh be looking forward to the next one we're going to be doing something a little different with the next episode i'm going to do a television show i'm going to be calling these episodes tribal tv or tribal television uh the first episode in that uh right here on skoden cinema is going to be running zach the uh, Saved by the Bell episode uh, where Zach Morris finds out that he's got uh, a little bit of native in his uh, bloodline. So uh, last before we head out, uh, 
want to do a shout out really quick to uh, a native business that I've dealt with. Um, it's called uh, Konawa Designs. It's a beadwork shop. Check them out on uh, Facebook uh, at, uh, at K-O-N-A-W-V Designs. Um, they're also on Instagram and they have an Etsy shop as well. So uh, check them out. I, uh, high quality beadwork. Uh, do yourself a favor and pick you up something nice. So for all of us here at Skoden Cinema, I'm Turtle wrapping it up. Maro, Maro. Hey, baby, I'm right. You got the moves. You got the moves, baby. Hey, Snaggaroo. <laughs>